Welcome to A Page in History. Join us on a fascinating journey as we delve into the memories of the world-famous NBC Pages. Get ready to hear first-hand accounts of their unforgettable experiences as they navigated the hallways of Burbank, California and the iconic 30 Rockefeller Plaza. Prepare to hear fascinating stories that were never meant to reach the ears of the general public. And now, your host for A Page in History, David Harris Katz. Ladies and gentlemen, get ready for a scoop that's hotter than an NBC page wearing their polyester pants in late summer. Our next guest may have shared a smooch with Madonna long before she made headlines on the MTV Video Music Awards. Then he'll talk about his special experience watching the royal purple one, Prince, rehearse before his live television appearance. And most of you know that weathermen and women do the reporting in front of what's called a green screen. Well, our next guest spiced things up a notch when the R in green screen took on a whole new meaning. And she may have driven off a cliff, but that's not before our guest was able to give her flowers, hear the sweet story about his connection to Susan Sarandon. And he also had the experience of partying with the director of the world's most dangerous band, Paul Schaefer. Plus, he did the same with America's larger-than-life comedian, Chris Farley. And contrary to most of America, he has some kind words for O.J. Simpson, but not for Bob Costas. If you're a fan of NBC NFL football, you'll want to hear this story. And speaking of sports, Dick Ebersole was the force behind the iconic sports programming on NBC. Plus, he was the man behind the idea for Saturday Night Live. With a man that powerful, you better watch out for his wrath. You'll hear some scathing stories. And you'll hear how our next guest used to run his tours in a very unconventional way. And how he developed many lifelong friendships. He worked for WWE, Lorne Michaels Broadway Video, UEG, and 1102. We are excited to have our next guest share his insights into his page life and beyond. Without further ado, please let's welcome Doug LeBeau. <laughs> Doug LeBeau. Ladies How are you guys? Man, how's everything going, man? Matter of fact, a guy that used to live in my building, apparently, you know, many years ago, which, um, is shocking. I don't know. <laughs> so weird. Uh, uh, you know, my 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 first couple of years in Manhattan, and it all comes back to them, right? So I, I got accepted a program. And the story of getting in is a great one as well. But I don't know if you remember, but I was we made eighteen thousand dollars a year as a page. And oh, is that trying... what, I don't remember. It was like was it like come out like seven thirty five an hour? I forget. It, it, it was some ridiculously low number, and you know, trying to live in Manhattan. Uh, on on that salary at the time was was very very difficult. So I kind of buddied up with a couple of my high school friends and we built a couple of uh, extra bedrooms in Windsor Towers, I believe it was. Oh. Uh, you know, and you know we, we took a one bedroom, turned it into a three bedroom. You know, with with some some paint spackle and drywall, and my 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 share of the rent was four hundred dollars a month, and I was able to live in Manhattan. Yeah, it's funny because I remember when I was a page, I used to commute from Long Island. You know, my parents lived in Long Island, so I would commute, you know, back and forth. And then as the paging was ending, I was looking for a place in Manhattan. 
And I remember going to, on my lunch break, I would go all around the city looking for places. And most places in Manhattan, you know, you walk in and it was like a closet and it was like dirty or it was, or they had these big heaters and it was just, you know, those big radiators where it was like a thousand degrees in the apartment. And I remember <laughs> like, and I, and I wanted to move close to 30 rock. So I remember seeing, you know, this building and I remember just was like, okay, let me just take a look. I walk in and I literally walk, like, I remember walking in the door and just doing one complete circle. And I walked out and I said, I'll take it. And I've been here ever since. And it was, it was just because I looked to so I looked at so many places and they were all hell holes and this yeah. was so convenient. So I used to walk back and forth to, uh, yeah, I mean, and, and to your point, I mean, the, the apartment was big enough that we were able to slice and dice into three mm -hmm. bedrooms and, and, you know, still, uh, you know, have some room for a fridge, a couch and a, and a TV. So it, it worked out. Yeah. Well, it's such an honor to have you here. And again, it's so cool because you did you 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 work for WWE. Uh, I mentioned Broadway video. You you work for uh, you have your own company. So we'll get to all that stuff, which is which is pretty amazing. But I guess we'll just we'll kick right off. Uh, I I teased uh, Madonna. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't really I don't really know what what the story was. I do remember his pages again. You know, she would rehearse for SNL. Uh, you know, and, and back in the day, it was amazing that that pages we were like, we want to go watch, you know, Madonna or we want to go go watch some of the biggest bands on Earth. And we yep. literally just walk into the ninth floor balcony, yep. sit our butts in the seat and literally watch, you know, Prince rehearse. So. Well, except that? the except the Prince one, that was my story. Which was special because that was bad. I know he was he was there for it, Batman. Right. And it was on lockdown. So it was so, okay. So we weren't technically allowed to watch him rehearse, mm -hmm. but as you know, there are a lot of nooks and crannies in, in that studio. So I actually sort of meandered my way through, you know, the bowels of the Titanic to to find a little hubby hole on the main floor and was able to see him rehearse, uh, you know, in on the closed set. And I'm pretty sure, and again, this this may be revisionist history in 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 my 54 year old mind thinking back, but. I remember at the time him sort of catching uh, a, a glimmer of my hiding spot and kind of cracking a wry smile. I'm not making too much of a thing of it. So that was uh -huh. my that was my Prince story is just knowing knowing sort of how to get around the the internal security and, and machinations of the SNL uh, machine. So I, it was kind of cool just watching him rehearse and it felt like it was just me and him. So it, it was pretty cool. Wow. Yeah, it, it is amazing that um, and it's so funny because all of these opportunities, some some folks took advantage of it and some didn't really care. But I was one as you and 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 I have to I think I I think by by law, I have to mention Ken Hamill, because you remember Ken Hamill, who, yes, sir. who I you know, he mentioned the Prince show where they had they'd given away bat mirrors, which I guess they reflected in the light and they put it on everyone's chair or whatever. But, you know. Like I, I recognized as did you and some of the other folks or most of the other folks, it was like, when on earth are we ever going to get a chance to go watch Prince rehearse on a, on the set of the most famous shows in television history? Never. And, and we, we use those opportunities, even if it meant, you know, getting in trouble. I don't know. Well, and you know, D, I, I, I think that's just part of my DNA is that, um, I always 
try to seize the day and the opportunity, you know, to do things that that others can't or won't or will never. And I never looked that gift horse in the mouth. I was always keenly aware of, holy cow, like I'm one of the very few people that get to do this. I'm one of, you know, very few people who OJ Simpson asked to walk to the bathroom and, and, you know, he's like, Hey, you mind standing outside and, you know, listening to him, take care of his business. You know what I mean? Like right. all those, all those things. And you, you mentioned, you know, uh, uh, Paul Schaefer and, and Jeff Healy and, and, and Chris Farley and all these stories. And we'll get to the Madonna. You know, I, I was, I was keenly aware in the moment of what, how special those moments were and, and, and never took them for granted. And, and, I think that's why they're sort of indelibly etched in my mind and I'm able to repent them and tell those stories. Right. And I think that, you know, and you've been very successful. I think that some of the folks that, that truly have been successful, you know, um, it's, it's all about the, the details and, you know, you know, going to see Prince or this one, or, you know, or, 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 or not minding walking OJ and we'll hear that story, you know, to go to the bathroom but I got, I too got a kick out of, um, and again, there's a million stories. One, like, like even George went when he was promoting, I guess the end of cheers, he was in, he was at 30 rock. And again, I don't know how I did it, but I was tasked to like walk him around. And I remember, I think I brought him to, um, McSorley's, not McSorley's to, um, Hurley's uh, Hurley's I always get I'm 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 a big fan <laughs> of McSorley's now because while McSorley's <laughs> I'm, I'm a big shout out to Greg if you're if you're a fan of McSorley's Greg is the owner and 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 now I'm friendly with him for, for something else but but yeah so so Hurley's and and again it's like most some hey, people I just want to like, interrupt I'm I'm very proud of you it only took three minutes for the first shameless plug so well done <laughs> but um it, you know it's it's those things where it's like how it's 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 those things like like what earth am i standing on that i am walking george went into a bar right and, literally and it, I mean, literally into, you know and one of the most yeah. famous bars there you know is in new york you know so it, so anyway it it's it's amazing so tell us about the madonna story so what was what was the story with that uh, okay so some parts of it and and the minor parts are a little fuzzy i don't think i i must have been because of the susan sarandon so let's assume i was one of the two pages on the SNL, uh, you know, detail um, for the couple of months that you got the assignment, and I think I was. So after every show, they had an after party, and you know, depending on the after party, some of the celebrities and music guests would be uh, inclusive. Others would sit up uh, and cozy up to you know the the, the king uh, of the castle and not come out from the upper tier of the VIP area. Well, Madonna being Madonna. Uh, the party was at, I don't know if it's still in existence, but I believe it was called the Paramount Hotel, um, which was not oh, I... too far from 30 Rock. You know, they always tried to keep, um, you know, the parties close enough that it wasn't a, a, a ridiculous trip to, you know, hop in a cab back then or a limo or whatever to get over there. And, uh, you know, I believe the pages had to go and work the party and help, you know, with the the, the guest list or, or or whatever. And then after a while, once... The party was in full swing. We were able to stay and have a couple of pops. Well, Madonna came to the after party and you know brought her full dance entourage with her. And as the music was pumping, to her credit, you know she was out there dancing, and her people were out there dancing, and she was waving everybody on the dance floor. And so you know, in full polyester armor, we, we me and whoever else I can't remember. It might have even been Brooke. 
Uh, oh, it might have been. Okay. It might have, and she could corroborate. I don't Brooke, remember. If you're listening, let's uh, let yes. us know. <laughs> but uh, they brought us out on the dance floor, and you know, sh everyone was dancing around in a circle, and in true Madonna fashion, uh, once the circle was formed, she got in the middle, danced around, and sort of went from person to person, guy, girl, didn't matter. You know, went around and gave each of us a a nice little kiss on the lips. So really, so that wow. is the that is the Madonna story. That's insane. I mean, it. It again, I always just get a kick out of it because again, there are some people that don't care. <laughs> There's a, like, but I just find it fascinating for those that actually, you know, it's, I guess what it is like, even that is a part of history. Like you're literally, that is a moment in time where, where you, you were, were able to uh, get a kiss from Madonna and it's just one of those things like it that's a it's a great story to tell your grandkids i guess i don't know you know uh although of course yeah, your grandkids yeah. probably don't know who madonna is at this point but uh, i think that story is better for the barber than it is for the <laughs> right <person>. exactly <laughs> but um wow so that is amazing i mean it really is it's funny because i remember even um what was it um uh oh god i can't remember there was a band um it was like satisfaction number one satisfaction Ooh, oh, uh, 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 to... uh, groove is in the heart de 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 delight. Yeah, delight delight yes so i remember at the at the party delight was there i get right delight and yep. they actually got up on the either the tables i guess the song came on and they started singing to it or dancing to it and again it's like just shoot me in the face i'm sitting at a snl party delight is was the band they're at the party their song comes on and now they're dancing and like sort of lip syncing so cool. so yep. it's one of those moments where it's like it's just insane so cool wow so, cool. so that that's amazing i mean again it's it's it's, it's so cool so, okay so um and then i guess you had mentioned prince uh besides so basically uh, you know again that was for the batman Right, I believe it was, so. it was, yes. he, he was performing when it was the Batman show, uh, and then you just basically got got a chance. To... Yeah, just just snuck in. You know, the story is uh, they very rarely did that. To your earlier point, you know, the the rehearsals were open, and if you were working the show, you could you know sit in the back row where the lights weren't on and sort of just bask in the in the intimacy without anyone noticing. But for some reason, I guess you know Prince, as we all know, was a very guarded person, and uh, you know had a very you know, particular way of doing things. He wanted the rehearsal clothes and, you know, maybe in part due to his musical genius, he was probably working through a bunch of stuff. Um, but, uh, you know, recognizing that I'm never going to get a chance to uh, to uh, sneak into Ebbets Field and watch, you know, the, the Brooklyn Dodgers, you know, to give a sort of uh, harken back to my dad's yeah. age of, of the peephole gang. You know, I right. knew that I was in a situation where, you know, I'm never going to get a chance to try this again. And so, like I said, I sort of went through master control and sort of slid through makeup and went around, you know, right. where the <laughs> the tech guys run their cables and sort of right. found my way around um, and was able to, was able to watch. And like I said, maybe, maybe it's just wishful thinking, but I, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure he, he, you know, the 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 light hit one of his sequins just right, and he caught a glimpse of me in the in the in the, in the shadows, and it was like you know wasn't going to call me out because you know I, I somehow figured out a way to to get in there. So it was it was pretty cool. And again, just knowing that I did something I probably shouldn't have, but I'm so glad I did. Right. And actually, this would be good to uh, we'll mention for the listeners uh, two things. 
One is um, just the layout of the studio. So people may find this fascinating. So when people watch it on TV, you have the two doors, which are right in front of the page desk, uh, sort of those are the famous uh, 8H uh, doors. And anytime uh, they do like something in the hallway, I always get a kick out of it because they'll put Lorne Michaels standing in front of the monitor in, in front of the doors. And then whenever they show the hallway, they it's uh, I mean, it's, sometimes they'll have like a horse go. They'll be yes. like moving a horse down the thing. You'll <laughs> right. see like a circus person. This, right. And it's so funny because in, in the eyes of the viewer, they're like, oh, look, there's a horse and they're, they're, they're moving equipment and this. None of that happens. It, um, there's never a horse in the hallway. So all of the even as a viewer myself, you know, you watch it and it looks like, wow, they're they're all preparing for like showtime and they're they're walking past the camera. Little does the viewer know that all of that's set up just to walk past the camera. And Lorne Michaels, I mean, he is in the hallway sometimes, but he's never just standing in front of the uh, monitor outside the door um, waiting for, uh, you know, uh, having a conversation with the talent, which is funny. And then to the left of where that monitor is, there's a little hallway, which then leads to the control room side. But in that hallway, there's two dressing rooms. One is the guest host and one is the guest band. So every famous guest host or band literally is about, what, 20 feet from the page desk or 20 feet from the front door of us of the uh, 8H. And they're always in there. You know, there's a bathroom in each, uh, a couch, um, you know, and they're just sort of hanging out in there. And then if you continue on, there's the craft services table with his food. And and that that um, other hall, there's a hallway that, that runs parallel um, to the other to the to the hallway we just mentioned. And then there's two doors that go into the studio, but on the left side. And then there's a door that goes into the control room. And then that hallway goes straight back. So again, for you to sneak into the studio, you could have either, you know, gone into the other set of doors where the control room was. And then once you get into the studio, you have the bleachers that are sort of built uh, that have been built for 50 for uh, almost 50 years that were like temporary when they built them. They're, they're still sitting there. <clears throat> but there's a there, there is a sort of labyrinth of of places to go because there's cables yep. and wires and yep. Yep. equipment. And once you sort of get in there, you know, you could sort of disappear. So that's what yep. you're talking yep. about. That's exactly right. And, and you know, you, you mentioned the, the Fellini-esque uh, myth of the outside the, the studio. I actually loved how 30 Rock, the show, leaned into it and really sort of took it to a whole nother level because, you know, Tina Fey, obviously working on the show, um, really sort of must have gotten that haha as well and leaned into it and also what she did about you know pl placing the page in in the middle of everything which mm -hmm. which oftentimes was the case depending on what uh what job you had and, and what division you were working for right it was definitely um uh an opera it, it really was it, if you think about it you know it was the pages were in the middle of 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 everything and it was funny because they didn't, you know, we were like 20 year old pages and they, there wasn't like, by the way, you're going to be, you know, meeting the most famous people and blah, blah, blah. And don't do this and don't do this. They were just like, oh, by the way, you know, you got the job, learn the history. And now you have to go upstairs and, you know, uh, bring Steve Martin, you know, his underwear. I don't know. 
Right, um, right. You know, and it was like, what? What would you, you know? And then we would be tasked to do these things that, that they were like pinch me moments. Yep. But the reality of it is we were just expected to do it, but no one warned us or even said, like, you're going to be in these situations where you're probably going to want to, you know, pinch yourself that you can't believe you're doing this stuff, but you did it and you just, you just did it without even thinking. Yep, right. exactly. And, and I think to the credit of the people who run the program, and that was probably by design, right? Um, they didn't want you getting intimidated too early. And I think that they believed in the the baptism by fire model, which I am a big, big fan of. Uh, it, it helped me prepare for my entire career. Um, and I also think it allows those who are can swim to swim and those who want to just float to float. So so uh, I think it was probably set set up like that by design. Well, let's I want to touch on that as well. You know, uh, you doing um... Uh, when you were at the WWE, you did promotion. You you did the promotion side of it originally. So I, I started as a as an AP and on air promotions. Eventually, okay. uh, eventually led to become the uh, uh, executive creative director uh, and uh, the executive who helmed the WWE's internal ad agency. And then I left for seven years, and they brought me back as an executive when they launched the network. Wow. So I started as a as a PA and worked my way up to executive level. And now they're my biggest client. And we can talk about that later. But the only reason right. why I want to keep bringing up WWE at this time is that I got the job at WWE because of the page program. And the quick story about that is there was a gentleman by the name of Dave Sahadi, who I'm sure you remember. Oh, yeah. I, oh, my God. Yeah. So Dave Sahadi was the, was the head of on-air promotions for NBC Sports and would walk around in a black fedora and black trench coat. And he was a really eccentric guy and we're still very, very close to this day. And uh, he started hanging out at all the, the page parties after, you know, after SNL or whatever. And he would just be, he was sort of omnipresent. He was always around. And after a while, I, you know, walked up to him at one of the parties and bought him a beer. I'm like, Dave, you know, why do you keep hanging around? Like all the page programs, he's like, Doug, they're all so hot. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, <laughs> the pages are all so good looking. You got to introduce me to them. So long story short, I did. I introduced him to a, a couple. Sorry, of we people. just blew his cover. So he's yes, uh, no, no. And he ended up dating one or one or two of them, if That's I remember funny. correctly. But but ever since we broke that introduction, he would then take these really funny, uh, opportune moments to to bust my chops whenever I was still giving tours. So if you remember, there was that electronic tape room master control area where like the robot arm would zoom in and put a tape in. Yeah. It. And we'll tell you, you know, and this is the ISKI code is this is they read the ISKI code and put it in here. And this is how they're flighting the commercials. And, you know, we'd be given tours to Japanese or Germans and all this stuff. And Dave, who was an employee would walk in front of behind the glass, but in front of the tour with a sign, like you're with stupid and just keep walking and like wow. you know, mess with me as I'm giving these tours and we end up forging a great relationship. And he, he left uh, WWE, he left uh, NBC to become head of WWE creative. And, and uh, because of our friendship brought me over and basically if it wasn't for the page program, I wouldn't have had my career. Right. And it's funny because that, that what you just mentioned, I think is very common for, for really a lot of folks that, you know, you're at a party, you, 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 you see somebody, and you take that chance to just walk over to someone. And, and it's funny because even when, when I was at Natby, which is like that big, tent, yeah, of course, 
when when I I had left Tribune, and was it Tribune? No, I had left King World, and I was waiting at a bus, the bus stop, to go to a party, uh, in and I, think, I guess this was in like Vegas or Florida, I forget where it was or what what city it was. But in any case, so the bus comes, and I remember the head of WCBS promotion was going to the party, and I knew some of the folks that he that worked for him because they worked at NBC. And I was frenzied with them. So I remember getting on the bus and I and as I'm walking down the aisle, I just literally walked up to him and like was like, I want to work for WCBS. What do I need to do? And he just said he was like, come see me on Monday. And then I went on Monday and then I was hired on Monday. And that was yeah. So it's like you have to seize those opportunities because which also is probably and again, your personality and even my personality. And I wasn't always like this, but you know, I, I learned like if that door opens, you got 30 seconds to make a decision or even less, you either go talk to that person or you blow it. And man, there's a lot of times when I've done things like that, where most people would be like, you're insane, but it's like, it's like, no, that window's open now. You need to walk through it. So that's yeah, amazing. I, I, I'm a firm believer. If there's a crack in the doorway, don't walk through, kick it open. Um, right. So, so, uh, and that, that was a good example of that, uh, you know, Dave asked me to come on board and, uh, you know, I was a little reluctant cause I was, you know, I was never a wrestling fan. And then the more I thought about it, I was like, you know, this is, this may be one of those opportunities where, you know, let, let's kick the door down. So, uh, I took the job and literally, you know, wrestling and the, the business has been a part of my creative DNA for since 1992, ever since. Wow. Isn't that amazing? And and were yeah. you a wrestling like so? You weren't even a wrestling fan. So I was. But... This is how long ago I was. So I was never a wrestling fan, um, you know. But I've come to oh my god, respect the business oh. of wrestling is is like no other business in the world. And it's and, and I say this lovingly. It's a lot like the mafia. Like once you're in, you're right. in, and that's you know it's it's, <laughs> right. it's due to the culture of 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 you know almost like the page program where you, it's just this forged togetherness that it, you, you're not going to get many other places. But anyway, so, so this is how long ago it was. I, I, I was still working. Uh, they extended my page time for two months because it was the Olympics, I believe. And uh, I went up there for an interview. And as I mentioned earlier, my first job as a page in NBC was I was making $18,000 a year and uh, I was living in the city and I, went up there and Dave Sahadi's like, all right, you got the job. I'm like, great. When do you start? And when do I start? He's like, tomorrow. I'm like, great. How much, how much money do you, what do you, what's, what's, what are you paying me? He's like, I can pay you $21,000. I'm like, Dave, <laughs> I, 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 I got to commute from Manhattan, man. I got to come back and forth. How about you give me $23,000? like, okay. <laughs> That's funny. Wow. <laughs> and there was no HR department. I didn't have to sign any paperwork. I literally walked wow. in the door the next day and I had a job. You know, and 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 you know, like I said, I always, I I always get um, my my put my my thoughts on this, but you know, a lot of folks, even to this day, might say, "Well, I'm, screw you, I'm not going to do it for twenty three thousand. And the fact is that people have to understand that you know you have to get your foot in the door, and us taking the page program, you know, at eighteen or whatever it was. And then you going into this at 23, but that's, you know, there's, there's, there's so many folks that want to get into this business or any other business and, you know, you and other folks, you know, recognize, well, look, you got to sort of pay your dues, you know, you got to sort of, um, get in, 
prove what you can do and then and really even learn a craft because even for me when i did promotion talk about you know um not knowing anything i mean it's true i mean i was hired um as a page to have the local promotion advertising and you know promotion assignment and i learned watching the producer write those scripts i didn't know anything about promotion and here it is i'm literally getting on the job training to watch somebody Baptism do this by fire yep that's right it. and do it and it's fun that's right i wanted to take yeah, care because you mentioned that earlier it's like it's like it was very weird because even even as a um young producer there were so many instances where like i would have to go into the studio and do something with chuck scarborough or sue simmons or al roker and produce something in the control room and let me tell you i you know I had no experience, but I'm, I'm being forced to do it. And I'm surprised I didn't have a nervous breakdown and die, you know? So the question is, you know, uh, the fact that someone like pushed me off the ledge and just said, you're going to go ahead and produce this or do this. And I, and literally have no idea how to do it. And it sounds like similar to what you did. I wonder, is it, you know, uh, what is it like uh, are do people who get into the industry are the ones that literally go into these situations knowing like almost saying i'm either going to die because it's so nerve-wracking and i have no idea what i'm doing those people either just totally abandon that task or that job and just go into you know something else and is it the ones that just say you know what i can do this even though i have no idea what i'm doing and they and I and it's true. I don't even know how they wind up doing it because, like, they don't even like, like, like even for you, like, you don't even, you don't even know what you don't know yet. Somehow you figured it out. And actually, I'd like to hear what you have to say. It's like, how did you figure out what you had to do? And actually, do you have any advice for anyone that may be listening who may be younger? Like, like you did something that you have no idea what you're doing, but you somehow pulled it off. And look at where you are now. So yeah, what advice, how'd you do it? What was that like? And what advice could you give? Well, I'll, I'll, that, that's a three-part question. And I'll try and, <laughs> we'll take I'll, one I'll, at a time. I'll, I'll try and go full, full, full circle in the triangle of the three okay. points. But, um, you know, I, it's funny and it's almost counterintuitive in our business, right? We're creatives. I, I write scripts every day. Uh, you know, that's what I do. But there's no script for succeeding, mm. which is interesting, right? If you want to be a, a, a real estate broker, there's a, you could take a test. If you want to be, if you want to be a stockbroker, you have to take a test. If you want to be a doctor or a lawyer, you got to pass an exam. If you want to be a television producer, producer, a creator, a director, there's no test. Mm. You have to succeed on your own merits and you have to embrace the creativity of, of no rules, of tabula rosa, of, you know, sink or swim. And I think that's the very nature of being creative is understanding that um, you know when that opportunity arises you gotta you gotta rise to the task and and when, if you don't that's who get caught in the in, in the riptide and in the, in the current and get pulled out to sea um, so and, and it's funny I had one of those moments in my page interview where I literally made something up on the fly and at the end of the interview one of the gentlemen who was you know in the interview session with me who also made the program came out and was like man Doug you, what an incredible story. You are 
you are, I can't believe you did that. And I'm like, Hans, I, I, I made that entire thing up. And he's like, you're my new best friend. You know, so, you know, it's, it's, it's recognizing, you know, uh, when to step up and, 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 and force yourself as a man or woman or whoever you want to identify yourself as, as recognize it as an opportunity to, to be that person that you know you can be or want to be and those moments could come as a pa they could come as a page they could come you know uh as at the executive level they can come they come very often as a owner uh, as a owner of a two-man business you know um recognizing those those opportunities and i guess that maybe is the last part of the question and answering that is if you want to get into this business, one, it's very different from when you and I came up, right? I, obviously, I think to be fair to to the the kids coming out of college now, the opportunities are in some ways far greater just because content is is so ubiquitous these days. But I, I I also in my heart of hearts think it's a lot harder because there aren't the brick and mortar opportunities that there used to be, you know. So a you have to embrace sort of your entrepreneurial spirit, even within an umbrella organization, if you're lucky enough to have that opportunity. Um, you know, uh, the reason why my business is so successful is because most of my clients are contracting and, and farming out business rather than expanding and hiring people. But regardless of where you are, is embrace that entrepreneurial spirit in moments, as well as a larger mantra. And once you recognize and embrace those moments, like I said, Kick, kick it down. Don't, don't, don't squeak through. Kick, don't squeak through the doorway. Kick, kick it down. And I'll, I'll, I'll tell a, a quick funny story about my success at WWE. One of the first times I was tasked to do something on my own as a, as a PA was um, uh, the WWE at the time came out with a wrestler by the name of Diesel. His name is Kevin Nash, and he's you know he ran in the Hulk Hogan circles. And I was asked to create his entrance video and conceptualize, you know, what he was going to do. And he was named after a diesel truck. So the concept and the long story short of it was that he was behind the wheel of an 18 wheeler. And he was such a son of a son of a bitch that uh, he sees a fly off in the distance and guns the thing and runs it. And the fly splats in the, in the mirror and he takes the windshield wiper, wipes it off and grins and, you know, like and his name comes up. And so I went and I shot this thing and I thought it was awesome. And I showed it to the executive producer, Kevin Dunn, who, you know, is a dear friend to this day. And, you know, as far as the live event business goes, probably the Cecil B. DeMille of, of the live event television. But that's a story for another day. He was my boss at the time. He's like, man, Doug. And again, pardon my, 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 my <laughs> blueness. He's like, this is the drizzling, you know what? I'm like, what? It's like, this is terrible. Like, really? Did you think this was good? I'm like, Kevin, I thought it was great. He's like, well, here's the good news. You... You went for it, man. This you failed spectacularly, and wow. I'm so glad you did. Like you went for it, and 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 because I did that, I was one of his guys. He's like, mm -hmm. I I can trust this guy. I know he's going to be great. I could teach him the small missteps that mm -hmm. he he operated, you know, or went through on this, and I can school him on that, and then I can set him free again. And so he recognized my willingness to take that chance to be the person out front. And so maybe to, to put a button on your question is you have to have that willingness to to walk the gangplank and 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 stick your neck on the line. Because if, if you're not willing to do that, it's going to be very hard to succeed in the media and creative culture that exists today. No, that's awesome. And I'm going to add to that because 
and again, it's so funny, just or, or so interesting listening to you know other creatives because it's like when you find people with like crazy minds, you know, you you you're like, oh my god, and it's true because I think um, in a, lo a lot of ideas going back to WNBC and um, and and beyond, it's true. Like I'll come up with these ideas in that are I th in my opinion might be a little bit insane, but it but literally in 30 years i think all of the ideas and things that i've wanted to do i really can't and you know I, I really can't think of anything i've done that failed miserably or didn't work it's just you know coming up with an idea and the thing is that most people don't have the vision you know they 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 don't want to break boundaries or or try something new and of course, in this business, you know, you you have to sort of break through the clutter. So, you know, you want to, you know, you're like, you like, oh, we're going to do this. And then we're going to drive it through and we're going to do, you know, we're going we're gonna to do, you know, and then you come up with these crazy ideas. And true, you may you may have to scale it back, but you do want to, you know, really go for it and 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 think of like this big picture and your boss at the time probably, you know, recognized it. He said, instead, you know, like, I want a guy like you who comes. It's funny, in 30 years, uh, you know, I, I wish I had people coming to me with, Dave, let me try, you know, let me try this. Matter of fact, I'm going to give a shout out to um, to this guy, um, Andre, who was a PA for, for one of the shows that I did. And he was just, you know, he was just carrying, you know, lights and doing certain things. But, uh, you know, we were talking about music and he, he, he was a musician and he just sort of mentioned it. And I said to him, I'm like, hey, do you think you can like redo this song, which was the open to our to our uh, show? And this guy like literally like composed, like did piano, you know, guitar. Uh, he, he composed a whole new thing. And I'm like, you're a genius, you know, and this young kid who was just a P.A., I wound up giving a giving him a better title in the show, but I also I actually invited him to the Emmys. You know, oh, nice. we were not we were nominated a couple of times, so he went to the Emmys a couple of times. I invited him to the parties. Uh, I've introduced him to like you know very famous people. You know, and and I'm and I ask him for his his input on things because even though he's and he's kind of a shy guy, but I like recognize I'm like, dude, you have some super talent. And you need to like, expl not exploit it, but you know, you really need to like shine. Well, you know, and and it goes back uh, now in my 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 business now. I you know, I'm not just writing creative. I think there's creativity in deal making. I think there's creativity in yeah. um, the operational side of creative execution. Mm -hmm. uh, and certainly, you know, m my partner in my company is is. God, without without that skill uh, and his particular skill in that regard, you know, we would be far less successful than we 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 are. But I think there's creativity in 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 that side of the operational business. But to dovetail on the story you just told, I also think there's creativity in recognition. You know, like using the story I told and the story that you just told. Seeing the forest through the trees is a creative endeavor. Seeing that I had talent. Um, when, you know, the, the actual thing I created wasn't what he was wanted or expected. Right. You seeing talent in this PA that 
was never asked to come to, to light and recognizing that there's that, that there's creativity in that. So, so, uh, you know, I, I just think that the creative business manifests itself in so many different ways. Um, uh, so that again, just trying to put a button on it. It's a, it's a good lesson for, for you young people out there, um, right. to, to, to embrace, you know, all aspects of that creativity in, in your path to success. Yeah. And I, and it's funny because I do see, like, I'll be walking along the, the street. As a matter of fact, like a couple of weeks ago, I was walking along and I saw this, it was so bizarre. They were, it was a, um, it was a, um, like a jazz band. They had like a, you know, a, a trumpet, a saxophone, whatever. And they, they were actually at the time they weren't wearing anything crazy, but they were just a jazz band just playing. And my when I was in high school, my band teacher, I was the worst in band. I played bass clarinet and clarinet. Oh, God. I was literally I was I couldn't actually I couldn't have been worse. Yet my teacher and I'm going to give a shout out, Mr. Bernstein, he would give me an A every report card. And I was awful. And to this day, I'm still friendly with him on Facebook. And he may be even listening at this point. And the reason it's like, you know, just because I wasn't a great musician doesn't mean I can't be good at something else. So instead right. of, you know, giving me an F on my report card, I wasn't cut out to be a musician. I was, I sucked. I was awful, but he re he, he, I guess he saw that I tried. So he gave me an A. Half the battle. Yeah. yeah he, he gave me an A for, for just trying. And I saw this group on the on the street. And first of all, I recorded them and then I posted it on Facebook and I said, This is for Mr. Bernstein, because they were a really good band. But they were so good and they were so unique that I wrote to this band asking and and my show runs on the on the broadcast network of New York. And I wanted to do like sort of an want to do an image campaign for the city of New York. And I saw this sort of oddball cast of characters yeah. playing yeah. jazz you know musicians and i wrote them saying do you want you know like hey i would like to sort of build an image campaign around your craziness and and do some fun things unfortunately i never heard back from them but i i but like i said I, I i yeah i was like i was like these guys are super talented and 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 look they're on youtube and they do stuff but you know I would have liked to sort of escalate them and put them on the on the broadcast network in New York and and get them on all these you know platforms and and really show their talents because so I recognize one day like, they damn. can end up on the SNL stage. See, there right, you go. right, it, exactly. It all comes it, back. But you know what? It's funny. <laughs> Literally, they were so good that they should be on SNL. There you go. They there should go. be on SNL, and you never know. So, anyway, that's so interesting. So, um, I guess we'll 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 cover some of the other things we we promoted. I sure. guess, um. I guess the green, the greens, the, the, doing the, the weather, what was the story with that? The weather and the green well, screen, make, bring it up. As, as I mentioned uh, with this story about Dave Zahadi and, and coming friendly with our particular page group, we had, man, as a, as a, as a guy who went to Penn state and, uh, you know, went through the rah-rah football sort of, mentality and being a member of fraternity and coming out of Penn State and getting my first job at the PAGE program, it was such a seamless transition because the PAGE program in a lot of ways is all the good things about a fraternity and sorority and not all the bad things. Mm, um, so, yeah. you, you know, so you go in and you have this shared experience and this camaraderie out of the bat, you know, out the bat, you, you, your first day in there, you're changing in front of dudes you'd never met before and you're all 
you know, oh my God, I haven't, I haven't washed my tie in three weeks and now my pants <laughs> now and all the stuff you're going through, you know? So you, 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 you quickly develop, the, you know, close friendships and you find kindred spirits. And my particular time at, in the page Grohman, there was at one point, there were like five or six guys and 36 girls. And of the 36 girls, 35 of them were just incredibly cool and awesome and, you know, happened to be attractive, even, you know, in every facet of that word, you know, both inner, inner beauty, outer beauty, just really good people and amazing, you know, and just awesome. And we had a really good group, but we also like to have a good time. And we, and that's, that, that will be a recurring theme as we go on. And so before it became legal, you know, there were a few of us that, um, you know, took after Bob Marley and we'll leave it at that. And uh, <laughs> so, so we, whenever we were unfortunately stuck to the uh, studio part of the tour and demonstrating the green screen, we, we, we had a little secret stash back there and uh, we're able to, to, you know, enjoy ourselves a little bit more than we probably should have. And God, I, I wonder if the tourists from other countries had any idea what was going on. Wow. But, yeah. Now, let me, I'll explain for the listeners. Now, it's so funny because me, I, I feel like I'm I'm like Uncle David, uh, you know, and I'm like, wait, you were doing that in mini control? Is that? Yes, there you so go. we'll explain to uh, okay. the listeners. Well, actually, why don't you tell them what, where you were and what mini control is? So, yeah. So, so uh, what mini control was is it, as you walk through the tour and you, you, we actually walk you into the physical Donahue studio and we walk you inside the physical Saturday Night Live studio and we walked you inside the, the Letterman studio and you, we explained to you what a cue card was, whatever the, the spiel was, I don't remember. Towards the end of the tour, we brought you into what I guess they would lovingly call the interactive portion of the tour, which was what they called mini control. And it was a small newsroom-esque studio. Where they, you, we sat the tourists in, in, in chairs and we would explain to them how green screen worked when someone was doing the weather and we would put it behind us and then we'd, we'd explain to them that they'd be reading from a teleprompter in front and and then we'd bring the you know the shy kid from 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 uh tajikistan to come up and he'd point <laughs> and mom and dad would take pictures and it would be great it would be fun and depending on the tour you know and you could probably speak to this as well i know you can uh, every tour had a life of its own every yeah. group had a life of its own and you know again going back to that creativity thing you could recognize, you could feel that sort of pulse and that energy in every tour you gave. So depending on where that energy was, you know, you could be playful, you know, you could be Teutonic, you could be, you know, out there. And so whenever you had those tours where you know you can have a good time or, you know, you sense the the energy and they, you know, the, the, the family of 12 wearing the, you know, daddy's 60th birthday t-shirt from Paducah, Kentucky all came, you know, you can have a good time with those cats. Right. So, um, whenever those opportunities arise, you would take them in there and, you know, the whole family would come up and you'd have them, you know, put their feet up on the Johnny Carson desk and grab it. It was really fun for them. And, and so that was what mini control was. And it was the one time in the tour in the day where, like I said, we were, we, we had an opportunity to, 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 uh, let our collective hair down, you know, coming from the bald man. Um, uh, and, and, and we took that opportunity quite a bit. So it was, it was a lot of fun. Oh, that's funny. So, and again, me, me being so, um, uh, like I said, I was always, you know, Uncle Dave, I'm going to try to, you know, um, I had no idea you guys were doing that in, in mini control because I was so, and I was so anal about it. And when I've talked about this a million times, you know, it was like, I, I wanted to just, 
you know, that tour should be, you know, um, because uh, remember, some folks wouldn't do the tour. Some folks would just make up their own tour, which yes. which could be like some people would they'd walk in and be like, OK, thanks for coming to the tour. We enjoyed having you have a nice day. And they wouldn't do anything, <laughs> right. which really kind of upset me. But um, but that is interesting. And it's funny you mention about, you know, the vibe of the of the group. It It is interesting. And this this goes even again for, you know, um, like even comedians, you know, if you have a hot audience that's like laughing at your jokes and, and wants to play along, that comedian, their show just went up five notches. And if you're a tour guide, you know, when we're giving those tours, if you had a group that just sort of, you know, yeah, blah, blah, yep. you sort of just, you know, okay, here it is, you know. But when you had those tour groups that were into it, you know, and we did, we had schools and we had, you know, groups and, you know, depending on the level of, of excitement or amusement that they had, they would wind up getting a better tours because I think, I remember, I, I, I think, and I wouldn't, I, I, I don't remember. I mean, I would take groups on to places that they weren't necessarily supposed to see, you know, or, 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 or yeah. do thing, right. So, you know, if they were into it, you're like, oh, you want to, um, you know, let's just go down this hallway, which we've never, we're not really supposed to go down. And we'd want to show them things that they weren't supposed because they were so into it and they appreciated. So it's like, let me show you something that's not part of the tour, you know? Well, I, 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 this could be, a, again, maybe just a, a wishful fulfillment on my part, but I, I remember, and it may have been, again, I, I'm sure Brooke did the same thing, but we had so many amazing, you know, Hans Eric Gosh and Beth Meyer and Melissa Hatter and, you know, Oh my God, Beth Meyer, yeah. Yeah, I mean the names go on and on. Andrew Bogdan and you know Tony Burton and then, you know so many great, Tony, great pages. Oh but I think it might have been Beth, it might have been Melissa. I don't remember, but I vividly remember to your point, like one of the pages on one of their tours actually went outside and asked the tour group to help give away tickets to the Donahue show because they couldn't fill the stage. Wow. <laughs> the wow. tour did it like it was that kind of crazy right. fun stuff that like, you know, once you're there for six, seven, eight months, you're like, all right, I don't know. What do I care? I'm going to, you know, right. how many times can I tell the Marconi radio story? Let's go have a right. good time. So it is funny because, and it's true. And I think I was, I remember um, even, uh, you know, doing crazy things. I remember on my last day as a page in main hall, I had gotten there at like four in the morning and in main hall, there was, you know, they sold the tickets on the left. And then there was a, yep. uh, an information booth on the right, on the right. And Mary Rothschild, you remember Mary? Of course. I, okay. So Mary, God bless Mary. But I literally, I had me, I guess I was scheduled for main hall the whole last day for some reason. I don't know why they, maybe it was my, whatever they were last day. You're in main hall day, all day. I literally brought a, um, I, I built this like lighting, a light bar that I wound up hanging from the ceiling in main hall. No and way. I took that light bar up to a stereo of Christmas music. So the Christmas music was playing on a speaker on the desk and it was blinking. It was actually like blinking to the music. Then I, I wound up putting like 30 boxes of candy canes on the table. And I literally set up a, 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 a an oven with chestnuts. So I was literally roasting chestnuts. That's hilarious. I had candy canes. I think I was giving away some kind of drink and the lights. 
And I remember Mary came down and she looked at me like I had 19 heads. She was like, what are you doing? <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, and, and, and again, the, the answer is it's my last day. So yeah, I'm going to have to Now she made me, she was funny. She made me take, I think, she, well, I think I had to take the toaster away with the chestnuts. And I think she said I couldn't go away, give away the candy because if they choked on them or so, you know, which, which makes uh, sense. But I guess maybe insurance. Yeah, yeah, that damn insurance. But I'm sure I went upstairs and just, you know, gave it out to all the all the things. But it, but I think as a creative, as a creative and, you know, that's that's I'm sure that you must have had ideas in, in wrestling and especially in wrestling where you're like, listen. I got an idea. We're going to, and you, you come up with the, the most insane idea because that's, you got to come up with something, you know, you, you and you got to push the boundaries. So I think that doing the things that I did or, you know, and I'm sure there must've things that, that, and, and even other pages that, that were, that some went on to be writers and, and performers, I'm sure. And we've, we've been hearing some of them, but, but again, each page wanted to sort of push the boundaries of, of maybe their little niche of what they, you know, to get their personality out or their love of the, their art form out, you know? Well, and, and, and I think, again, that's what the page program, it, if, it, it, if you were to encapsulate what the page program should aim to do, Mm. I think, you know, in, 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 in its DNA, their, their mantra, whatever their mission statement would be right. to, for each page, whatever your passion in this business is, mm. use this as a springboard to go get it or chase it in, in whatever way you are. If you're, you know, a, a gregarious Jew who talks with his hands like me, great. <laughs> if you're not, if, if you're, you're not, you don't swing on that side of the pendulum, as far as gregariousness and personality, you know, there's so many things within our business that, that, you, you can go get in the style and way that you want to. And I think the the, pro, the program provided that for everybody, I hope, and, and still does, I'm sure. Yeah, and it's funny because, again, when you think of uh, folks like Steve Corin, who wanted to be a writer, and he wound up, you know, he was the receptionist for SNL, answering phones at the desk. Then he wound up becoming a writer for SNL. Then he became a writer for Seinfeld. And I remember right. him... He would literally, we would walk and I, I used to drive him, it was a story, but I used to drive him home um, from Queens. We used to take a train from here to Queens to Shea Stadium and I'd drive him home. But he was always telling me these stories and like funny jokes and things. And, you know, I'd be like, no, that's not funny. <laughs> like, no, that's not right. good. Like, I don't think that's funny. <laughs> and I'm like, but he didn't give up. He just kept on telling more stories. So yep. the fact is, he was like, okay, if you don't like the first hundred, I'm going to give you a hundred more. And it's the same Love thing that. with you. And I think, you know, um, uh, even, you know, Dave Schiff, who became a writer for that 70s yep. show and King of the Hill and this and that. And there's plenty of folks that wound up doing what the, you know, and again, I mentioned Ken Hommel, you know, Ken Hommel knew every, he knows everything there is about every television program ever about anything. And that's all he wanted to do. And and now he works in you know programming, and it's like he just had to continue fighting that fight, and is like I'm going to work in programming if it's the last thing I do, and he just never gave up, and he and he knows everything there is to know about it. So again, the the moral is that if you have a passion, no matter what it is, don't give up. Just keep on even going. Even if you got to wear polyester, amen. Even if you have to wear polyester, exactly. So it's, it's amazing. Okay. 
So a uh, couple of, okay, so let's mention, uh, well, I guess a couple of things. Uh, Susan Sarandon, again, before she drove off the cliff. Um, what was yeah, that? Yeah, so that was, was a, that? just a quick, quick, nice story. Again, I think she, uh, um, her, Tim Robbins was the host. Oh, okay. She was sitting in the, in the, uh, in the balcony for some reason. I guess that's where they wanted to put her. And he, I, I must have been one of the two pages on the show because I have a couple of these, you know, remembrances of stories. So he he asked um, to give her flowers on camera for her birthday oh, or oh. something. And so, um, you know, they asked me to do it. So oh. would you please, you know, during the show, you know, we'll give you the cue, you go and give her the flowers. So I said, of course, you know, you're not going to say no. So that's exactly what happened. Um, you know, I walked on camera. I handed her flowers and I leaned in and I whispered. I said, you know, this is from Tim. We want to wish you a happy birthday. And on behalf of the pages and everyone at NBC, we wish you a happy birthday as well. Something, you know, corporate-y right. and, but sweet like that. And right. she looked at me, she's like, oh man, that was so nice, whatever. And then she starts crying and they shine the spotlight on her and I leave, whatever. And then, you know, at the after party, she fucking invites me over to her table. She's like, you know, just you, and sat me down and like kept me there like five minutes, like, you know, you, you just want to say thank you to you. You were so nice. It was such a nice surprise. And you handled yourself so well. And like sp uh, spent five minutes just chatting me up and, you know, before, you know, letting me go. But it was just a very nice right. moment. And she was such a, such a nice woman. Right. So, you know, for every, you know, for every story that you hear good or bad about people, I always prefer to, you know, if I'm going to tell the bad, I, I, I like to tell the good as well. And she was just such a sweet, sweet, nice woman. And, and really, um, you know, that resonated. Right. And it's funny you mentioned that as well, because, you know, and, and, and I, I should, 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 I try to do it, but, but we could all use sort of this, you know, we're out of all the celebrities, a lot of the folks that we met, it, it really is amazing that many of them did take the time yep. to like say, Hey, what, you know, what, you know, hi, I'm whatever, you know, what's your name? Uh, oh, you're a page. What do you, what do you do? You know, or, and again, these people are so, I give them credit cause I know, and I'm sure that you do too, you know, when you're working and you're like trying to focus on, on, um, the job at hand, you know, producing something, you, you know, you, you know, you got talent and deadlines and you, you know, it's very hard to like focus, but a lot of these folks are, were so nice. And they, they took that moment to like, ask you your name or, or, or ask, you know, Hey, do you want me to, you, you want, you want a coffee? You know, like they like crazy stuff. And it's like, those people are the ones that really like, like Tom Hanks, for example, you know, like these people are the ones that are super stars. And if you talk to certainly any of the pages, a lot of folks that have been on the show, they have these stories about Tom and this one and that one, Susan, that took the moment um, uh, to, to thank them, you know, to, to really just sort of acknowledge them. And me as a person, when I'm working, doing something, um, and when you have a PA working, you know, I mean, I try to be as kind as I can, you know, and, and I'll admit that I too am under pressure. So I, I do get a so, little bit antsy because you're, 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 you know, you're, you're doing this, you know, there's a lot of pressure, but, but it, it's just another reminder to like, really try to be kind to everybody um because you know uh they're they're starting like you are and it really makes a difference and they may remember 
you know, 20 years from now, you know, wow, Doug, when I was, when I was a PA, you know, on the set of the, I had the rock, the rock. I don't know if I'm, I guess maybe you've worked with the rocket. Right? DJ's DJ's my boy. I we we can have a whole podcast just about fun rock stories. He's he's the, he all, all kidding aside, the nicest man in yeah, Hollywood. Let's actually let's talk. Actually, it's a perfect segue. So here I'm just giving an example of of how somebody starting out, you know, uh, may or may not have been nice. And we're going to hear what you have to say. This is totally unsolicited. I, I, or, I will, or we I didn't will, plan yeah, this. We'll but the fact is, here you have, the the guy couldn't be any bigger. And and actually, tell us your story about him because because so, that, so that's a perfect I, I, illustration. It's a great segue. And before I do what I will tell you again, and this, I guess it's going to come off as a you know, Viva Los Page program, but, but it probably should because I really enjoyed my time and and it plays into so much of my life and my career. But I think part of the process of of college, let's start there, is to learn about yourself and about the world beyond the classroom. And I think the PAGE program is to learn how to navigate people as much as it is to give a tour, right? And so to your point earlier about no, not telling you that you were gonna be giving Steve Lamp, uh, Steve Martin a lamp or whatever you did, you know, when the jerk came out, um, you know, we, we didn't know that this was gonna be a pretty prevalent part of this program is, is the, the prevalence of, of celebrities and stars. And you really have to learn to navigate those situations and read the room, and you know when when there's an invitation to 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 be uh, you know more personable, take it. When there's a stop sign that says, "Hey, you know, I'm I'm here, I'm all business," you read that stop sign as well. So I think I think the page program is really good for understanding how to navigate talent, celebrity, uh, and superstarism. Um, as we move forward uh, it, and have moved forward in, in our careers, you know, from the page program. And it's certainly every day plays into my job, my business every day. I'm, you know, we do a lot of sports related and celebrity related content and I am dealing with, you know, uh, uh, you name it, I've worked with them and you just have to understand that. Uh, and I'll give you a perfect example. I did something for the Manning brothers last year, but Eli and, 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 and Peyton, Peyton was a very nice guy, but was all business. You know, he 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 was a gentleman, but I, you know, we weren't waxing poetic about anything. You know, professional, awesome, good guy. But then I went to work with Eli, and oh my God, it was like working with your best friend. You know, he was personable. He let me try on his his mask that he wore in that skit when he went to Penn State, and we were talking about his golf game and all this. So you just have to understand that you know everyone's a little different and sort of navigate that difference to your benefit and again i think the page program does it very well so i'll give you my quick you know rock uh history from a to z so uh i i i spent nearly 20 years at wwe the first 13 years then i left and then went back for five or six years um so i started as a pa and again was very lucky to have some incredible mentors uh, i mentioned one kevin dunn we mentioned david sahadi who was my direct boss and another gentleman who I'm still very close with to, to this day. His name is Chris Chambers. Anyway, at the time, the WWE was small. You know, my 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 first four months there, they asked us to uh, pay a dollar a day of our own money if we wanted milk in our coffee. My fifth or sixth month there, the entire production facility, they asked us not to take a paycheck because we, they were hemorrhaging money. And now, you know, they were just sold to Endeavor for $9.6 billion. So 
Um, but in that time period when things were, you know, a bit of the wild, wild west and, and to the benefit of the creatives, we had a ring in the production studio. Like there was a, a practice ring where the, where the talent would come in and work whenever they had to shoot pre-tapes or do anything on camera that wasn't on the road. Oh. And one day, Dwayne is there working out. And uh, he finished and it was late at night. So me and Chris and a couple of the guys were, were uh, there and we, he finished his workout and he sits on the ring apron and we had some beers in the office and we're all sitting around the, the ring apron. And he's like, man, you know, my, my character sucks. Man, Rocky Maivia, the, my, the fans hate me. You know, like I'm not getting over. Man, I, I just don't know what to do. And, and Chris Chambers, this guy's like, hey, you know, Rock, you know, maybe you should just lean into being yourself and take it to 11. And they started talking and I was again a PA, so I wasn't an active participant in the conversation, but I was there. And sure enough, you know, like soon thereafter, he sort of leaned into, you know, that over the top rock and ditched the, the frills and the bangles and all that and became, and, and it was just, interesting to see him understand and translate what that note was from a fellow creative into, you know, that launch pad that, that he became. So that was really cool. And then, uh, you know, a, a couple of years later, I was still maybe an AP at the time. Um, he, he, he left, uh, he left the company and did a movie called the rundown with Sean William Scott. Mm. And they, uh, they had an on-screen kiss. So MTV was nominated him for the best kiss in the MTV movie awards that year. That's funny. Um, and I was sent out to the red carpet to do an interview with him. And I get there and, and, you know, he's nowhere to be found. Like he just wasn't walking the red carpet. So me, you know, going back to, you know, take, take the initiative and, you know, if you're going to fail, fail spectacularly, I'm like, all right, well, he's not coming through. I'm going to, I'm going to start screaming the loudest and start getting people. So I got Quentin Tarantino in an interview. I got like you know, Brad Pitt, whoever it was. They, I got them all talking about The Rock. So I'm like, oh, man, this was awesome. I did my job. I called my boss at the time. I'm like, oh, you, you. I didn't get The Rock, but I got all these great people cuts me off. He's like, Doug, if you don't get The Rock on the camera, don't come home. You're fired. I'm like, shit. Shit. I'm like, okay. So what do I do? So I happen to have his wife's phone number as, as his point of contact in my phone. I call her up. And, and um, I'm like, Danny. And I explained to her the situation. She's like, hold on, give me two minutes. She calls me back. She's like, you're not going to believe this, Doug. But Dwayne went to the show producers and I do live television. You do live TV. I do a lot of live events. He asked, he didn't ask them. He told them that he has a responsibility and asked them if they can move his segment five minutes later in the show so he could come out and do an interview with you. He'll be out in two minutes. Fucking guy came outside, pardon my French, sorry, came outside and gave me a full five minutes on camera, thanked me for, for hanging in, and then went back inside and won his award. Um, and then flash forward to this past February, uh, as I mentioned, my company does a lot of sports-related stuff, and we were hired to produce all of the in-show, in-stadium content and graphics for the all eight stadiums in the XFL this year. Um, and Dwayne owns the XFL, he's part owner of the XFL. So uh, for those of you familiar with sports franchises and leagues and stuff, they, every year before the season starts, every team does what's called a car watch, where you come in and you shoot all the players, you know, doing this and pointing at the camera and doing all that cool stuff. I'm sorry, I'm uh, we're in audio medium and I'm using the camera. So my apologies. <laughs> he's he's giving know. us for the for the audience uh, <laughs> listeners, he's giving us these very good looking poses, uh, looking better. very manly. That's a but you know, you, you know, all that stuff, they're holding a football, they're posing with a bat on their shoulder, all the stuff that they used throughout the season. So we're there for the car wash and, and 
um, it was. What is it called? The a end. car wash? A car wash? Yeah, it's called a, a car wash. Yeah. Okay. I don't know because because you you come in and you churn and burn the, all these teams. You just and all go these players. plowing so through them. Okay. Yeah, plowing plowing yeah. through like a car wash. It just That's you know keeps going. Okay. So, um, uh, and ESPN was there. There, and said anyway. We needed to get the rock, you know. So he was sh- shooting Red Notice two in Europe, and he had, he flew in that day for four hours. Four hours, and his people and it was COVID was over, and our set was we weren't wearing masks at the time. But he, they asked us, you know, he's the hardest working man in 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 showbiz. He can't afford to get sick. Would you guys mind masking up the crew? And again, because it was our production, we went out. And we got fifty seven, you know, and ninety five masks, and we all put them on. And we, we there were three different sets within our sort of universe and so I was on another set directing some stuff while Dwayne was shooting his on-camera stuff I was lucky enough to come back and get him at the tail end as he finished so as he's walking off I said screw it I just take off my mask and I said TJ you have time for for an old friend and now this is probably 15 years since I last saw him maybe 10 and he's like holy blank Doug F and LeBeau what are you doing here bring it in man and and we start hugging and chatting it up and he, and I, you know, remembered that he asked about the mask, and I said, you know, DJ, um, do you mind if, if, uh, you know, I take my mask off? You know, he's like, yeah, you know, of course, you're, you, you know, you're, you're, you're COVID negative, right? I'm like, yeah, of course. And now, mind you, we're in front of 70, 80, 90 people. He's got a his own behind the scenes crew following him, so he's like, you, you know, you're COVID negative, right? I'm like, yeah. He's like, but are you still herpes positive? And and <laughs> starts the whole place explodes, and I'm like laughing hysterically, and then my partner comes over. And I'm like, Barry, you know, you remember Dwayne? He's like, Barry, boss, you guys want, get out of here. Barry takes his off, his mask off. They they hug, they start talking. And the three of us are chatting in front of a group of, you know, 100 plus people. And it strikes me. And I interrupt the conversation. I'm like, Dwayne, you see me for five minutes and you 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 make a joke that I have herpes and you're talking to Barry for 10 minutes and there's, there's no joke about herpes for Barry? What's up with that? He's like, Doug. Why would I make fun of Barry about herpes when everyone knows he has syphilis, right? So like, <laughs> and he's just that gregarious a guy, and and it's all because he embraces, you know, that familiarity. He 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 keeps it real. He's that kind of guy. And then you know, after a conversation was done, we put the mask back on. He said goodbye, shook the hands of all the people that were in front of him, you know, that worked on his set, and then he was gone. You know, but he's that hard a worker, but that real a guy that, you know, after what, all this time, he has the cojones, knowing that I'm that kind of humor, have that kind of humor, and we have that kind of relationship, that in front of 100 total strangers, he can make a an off-color joke and be himself uh, with me and my partner, and then, you know, then he's off. So, you know, he's just, he's just a really cool cat, and I, I you know, and Danny, his ex-wife, who's also, you know, part owner of the XFL, and I still, you know, that she co-owns Seven Bucks, the production company with them, both of them are just salt of the earth, good people. It's amazing because because and and I find this again similar with other types of folks like that. Like I have to give them credit because you know there's so many things they have to do. So so for example, you know he was in the middle of doing something, and then you came in and try to get in touch, you know, in touch with him to to do it. And I'll tell a funny story uh, and a side note in a minute. But the fact that you know. It's so easy because I I find myself, you know, you know, um, to you, it's important. Right. And to him, he's got a thousand things to do. And it's very easy for him to have just said, listen, I just can't do it. I I just I got a million things to do, but I got to give him credit and others like him, like a Tom Hanks, who who yep. does, 
you know, he'll be like, no, no, let me, let me, let me do this. Let me figure out how to do this. And he'll do it. And again, this is why these guys are superstars. I don't, I don't like, like, I don't know. I think in my um, situation, I might, I might've just been like, listen, just tell him I can't do it. And the fact is, he's like, no, I'm going to do it for this guy. And, and I give yeah. them a lot. I give them so much credit for doing that. Um, yeah, it's, absolutely. It's so what's your story? So, oh yeah. Um, so the, the, it's funny you had mentioned, and this just goes back to, to having the ability to sort of get things done. You know, here it is. You, he wasn't going to talk to you and you then had a phone number where you said, uh, you know, let me call his, like, what did you do is call his wife or, or yeah, his wife who was his manager also at the time. Yeah, yeah. And this was, yeah. And you know, so, and then your boss said, if you don't get the, like, here it is, you went and got everybody else, but you didn't get the rock. And I've actually been in those situations where you think you did a good thing. And then your boss is like, no, that sucks. And you're like shattered. But I remember when I was at WCBS and I was working, doing the promo. Um, and again, this goes back to Lee Menard, actually WCBS. Lee Menard said this to me. He called, uh, this was when the, and I know, and actually I know nothing about sports. <laughs> so to, right, I know nothing right. about, I'm not a sports guy. My brothers were in sports. I, I don't, I'm not a big sports guy. So, but the Yankees, I guess, were on the cusp of winning the World Series, whatever year that was back then. Right. And, and so was, many of them. You know, know, who knows? So uh, it was probably nine o'clock. And I guess the Yankees had won the World Series maybe a, a few years earlier or the last time they did. And I don't even know because I'm not a sports guy. Right. But my boss, Lee, uh, called me in the, you know, called me on the phone. We didn't have cell phones at the time, I, I don't believe. And he said, David, I want to see a shot in the promo for the 11 o'clock news of the Yankees winning the World Series from prior, you know, prior to this. And he said to me, quote, with a, with a straight face, if I don't see it at 10 o'clock, don't come into work on Monday morning. Like, like, and, and he was dead. Like, he literally was yeah. like, don't show up. So I'm sitting there, it's nine o'clock at night. My editor, who God bless him, but he, you know, he was a he, he actually he 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 lifted weights a lot. And he had to eat food every 97 seconds or he was gonna die. <laughs> I need carbs. You know, yeah. So I remember it's it was like like late at night, it's we were at CBS, the broadcast center, and I'm like, you know, uh, there was, you know, it was kind of quiet. And I remember running down to local, the, the, the uh, tape library to get that footage of when the Yankees won, but there was nobody there. So now I'm like, I am dead meat. I need this footage. You have to go to the, for the listeners, you have to go to the library um, to uh, sort of collect this footage. They'll, they'll get it for you. So I literally ran down to the network library which I don't normally do. So you have network, which is CBS. Then you have yep. local, which is WCBS for those listening. And I remember no bullshit. I literally ran into the room and I got on my knees. I literally was on my knees and I literally was, had my hands in, in a begging motion. Right. I said to the, to the person there, I said, I need a shot from when the world, when they won the world series, you know, blah, 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 the last blah, time. Blah. Right or I'm dead meat. 
please. And I, I, I may have been crying. <laughs> I may have been crying. I said, so God bless this person. I don't remember, you know, they, they actually found me the tape. And I remember now we're, we're like barely have any time. I ran upstairs at a like bolted upstairs, run into the edit room and my editor is nowhere to be found. And I'm like, oh, and I'm and I'm looking at the clock. He's in the kitchen. Okay. He literally <laughs> stroll he strolls in oh like it's a God. Sunday afternoon with a bag of food, walks into the other room. I probably which which was not right, but I probably ripped it out of his hand and I'm and I started probably screaming at him, What are you what we you know? And I grab I said, Gary, put this in this and I remember doing it. And then we we wound up getting it. And I remember, you know, taking the tape and we literally, it was right out of broadcast news, took that tape and hauled yeah. ass yeah. down to master control and literally handed him that tape. And then they had to put it into the machine. And I think it was within seconds and, you know, play. And it went out to, you know, 8 million people. So, so Dave, I'm going to, I'm going to say something though. And, and this is, you know, a compliment to you, a, uh, uh, a, a little self-aggrandizement, which I hate doing, and a compliment to <laughs> the, the two gentlemen that were on the other side of delivering that message. I firmly believe that my boss delivered that message because he knew I could handle it. Mm. I think that guy, your boss, tasked you with getting it done because he knew that you had whatever it took to get it done. If it was someone else, he might not have delivered the same message or maybe not have delivered the same way. And I firmly believe that, you know, being a leader, you have to recognize how to treat everyone a little differently. And they, and I think that in your story, he, he pushed you a little further and, and, and got you to get there, which eventually helped you as a person, as a creative, whatever. And same goes to my story. Like, I'm glad he pushed me. I'm glad I had to think on my feet. I'm glad in retrospect, obviously, it's easier to, to do that. You know, not at the time when I'm sweating bullets and, you know, thinking I got to pay for a cross-country flight. Um, you know, in retrospect, I, I do believe that that they were smart enough to know who they were delivering that message to. Well, th well, thank you. And I and I what's interesting and it, it, it really does show that even for yourself and for myself, and I'll mention Randy Pyburn from WNBC, who has also sort of had the same thing. But I realized that that holy shit, there are things that I was like, there's no way, there's no way we can do this. And to Randy's credit, and then to, to Lee's credit, it all, we did it. There were things that I was like, there's no way we can do this. And it, you know, and it shows that you can do it. And I think that anyone that's listening, you'd be shocked that if you say to yourself, I'm not going to give up and I'm just going to, I'm not going to give up. We're going to do this you'd be shocked as to what you can do. Um, and it's funny because you actually just, you, you reminded me of another quick story, which was just that when I was producing, actually, yeah, when I was producing it at, at um, maybe it was at CBS, Zaida, which was our, our intern, I, for, for those that were, you know, when you're producing the promos, you know, we would write the promos and then I would give them a list of all the footage that we needed for the promo. And I remember saying to Zaida, I said, listen, you know, we have to make air, let's say at noon, there's a 30 second block of black <laughs> that, that I have to fill. So if I give you a shot, if I need a shot of a fire and a crash and a mugging from this morning, 
If I give you <laughs> that list, your job is to go to the to the library, you know, ask the librarian to pull that footage and and bring it back to me. Now I said to Zaida, now it's funny because you just what you just said actually is kind of interesting. Um, I said to Zaida, you know, this is how we do it. And I tried to explain it. I said to her, if I give you a task, I actually said to her, do not come back to me without that footage. I said, don't come back. And I said, the reason is that I have to cover 30 seconds of black on the network. If you come back to me while I am trying to produce the spot with the editor, the bottom line is I'm just going to have to leave the edit room and go and find the footage because I will find the footage. Like, I will right. find it. So I remember she said to me, she actually said to me, she said, David, there there was, she gave me an example where she's like, David, there, I, there was no footage. And I started walking back to the edit room. And then I remember you telling me, don't come back without the footage. And she sure enough went back, looked a little harder, and sure enough, she found it. So, you know, I was sort of paying it forward saying, you, you know, you can do it. Just don't give up until you find, until you get the answer. Well, and I think it also goes to um, sort of how I like to operate um, whenever I had a staff or even now when I, you know, my, my staff is freelance. I very rarely, if ever, ask anyone to do anything that I haven't done or can't do myself. Right. And, and it's almost like, you know, I'm, I'm not an editor. I've never been on the box, but God, I used to love sitting with an editor and, and you know, I'm frame manipulating, editing by frame, understanding the nuances of, you know, every little thing. I can't do it, but I loved it. And I learned enough that I can explain myself or teach someone who's working for me the nuances around editing frame by frame or, or you know, recognizing that, you know, a jump cut or match cut or anything you want. So, so. I think that sort of tutelage as 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 a employer or as a mentor is even a better word. Um, I think goes a long way, and and the fact that again maybe it was subconscious that you paid it forward in that way tells me that it was a seminal moment of understanding for you um, that you know you can ask someone to do that who you trust even maybe subconsciously to do it when they might not think they can do it themselves. Right, and and to your point. There is not one thing I've ever asked anybody to do that I never did myself. So even if it was, even if it was staying up, you know, twenty four, you know, doing doing insane things, um, it's like it's it's like I I've done it, you know, like I've done that. I know what it's like, and I'm never going to ask you to do anything that I haven't done. So right. So um, and I will say this: in all the years, it's funny you mentioned editing. Um, the reality of it is, you know, there, you know, I, I used to watch, I used to love watching the editors, actually the editors, the graphic artists, all those folks. And there were times when I would watch and try to explain myself or, or we just were running low on time. But the reality of it is that I, I would go and sit at the editing, you know, uh, at the, at the workstation. And there were times I remember once I was sitting watching an editor do something and we were spending all day on it. And they also like to smoke. And I literally said, go have a cigarette. They would come, I, they would go have a cigarette. I'd come back and I'd literally had, would have edited everything I wanted. I would just do wow. it. Yep. It was easier for me to just do it. And to this day, as you know, the, the, the term predator 
you know, comes up a lot, which is, you know, a producer, writer, and editor. I don't like to do it all myself. I really kind of hate doing it all myself. But the fact is I've, I've now learned so many aspects of the business and even technical stuff, which again, I always joke. I said, I'm not, I'm not a tech guy. I'm not a writer, but I wind up doing this, you know, and winning, you know, winning awards for this work, which I, I'm, I'm not, I don't consider myself any of this, but I just sort of had to pick it up and, you know, try to, you know, things that I, I didn't want to fall through the cracks, I would be yep. really anal, you know, to, to do. Yep. So, yep. so it's very interesting. So, okay, we'll move along. So uh, I guess we'll do a couple of quick things. Sure. Uh, yeah. Just tell like Paul Schaefer, you partied with and even Chris Farley. What was, what yeah, was Chris, that? Chris, you know, yeah. I mean, I, I the, my relationship with Paul Schaefer certainly wasn't uh, exclusive to me as a page. He, he, he was a good time guy. And uh, um, I ran into him, I, um, I, I think the first time um, was uh, at, a, it must've been an SNL party or something. And we ended up standing next to each other at a bar or something. And, you know, I bought him a drink and just said, Hey man, you know, I, I'm a page and, you know, thank you, whatever. And he's like, ah, what's your name? And we started talking and then, you know, I was walking by the, I was never the Letterman page. I never had that assignment. Yeah, um, and I've had the door. Um, but he saw me. He's like, "Hey, man, you know, what's up, dog?" Or I, I don't know if you remember my name, but he definitely recognized me. He said, "Hey, come on over," and he brought me into his dressing room. And uh, you know, Jeff Healy was the guest musical. I don't know if anyone remembers him. He he was the blind seated guitarist from Roadhouse. Um, uh, amazing musician, died very young. But anyway, uh, he's like, "Yeah, this is Jeff Healy, and you know, he's on the show tonight. And you want to hang out?" I'm like, "Yeah," and I sat in his his dressing room with Jeff Healy for hours just <laughs> it's unbelievable. smoking pot wow. and, and, and hanging out and and you know again just a really nice guy I, you know uh, and and just what you saw was what you get he was he was that kind of cat and also i think uh you know this is just a personal opinion but i think underappreciated as a musician really talented guy um you know the chris farley thing was a little sad you know at the time i didn't recognize it but i don't know if you remember this but he was he, he had a sickness, you know, he was an addiction, he had addiction problems and he would walk down the hall and have to touch the wall every five or six or seven feet for his equal, his own equilibrium. But then when he got on stage and that green light was on, he was, you know, we, and wrestling, we call them green light superstars, you know, that once the camera's on there, you know, but off camera, he was, you know, his addictions were evident and, and I was just a young kid and I didn't really care or, or recognize or know how the depths of his problem, but, uh, you know, same thing. He would be like, "Hey, kid, you want to come in and you know hang out in my dressing room or whatever?" And I think I met him at a party one, at the after party one time, and I said, "Sure." And you know, it wasn't very often. I think it was twice in you know, the entire year I was there that uh, you know I, I I went in and it was never it, it was always like you know have a quick drink or you know share a beer with me whatever. And then you know it was quick minutes. It wasn't like the Paul Shaper thing, but you know he was also a very kind-hearted um, sort of good kid and he really was a kid in way over his head and just you know couldn't uh you know obviously handle the trappings of of, of fame but but uh, at the time it was like holy cow i'm you know sitting with chris farley having a pop it was kind of cool wow. it's funny i you know you and some other folks sort of mentioned those you know hanging out with with them i don't think i I actually was ever called into a dressing room to hang out with with them. I mean, I certainly, like I said, I worked the show and 
um, would, 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 you know, maybe for food, but I don't think they ever invited me into their dressing room to sort of hang out. So I, so you, so it's really cool, but it's funny. You mentioned that the touching of the photos, which we talked about once on the show. And again, for those that haven't heard that Chris yet yeah, would, would walk, he would walk and touch. I thought it was just a superstitious thing where he would touch every photo along the wall. Cause they were like, there were photos of this, of previous uh, hosts and such. And then he would touch the door, the, the top of the door going into 8H. Um, and he would do that every time he'd walk down the hallway and then touch it. So that's what I saw. I, I, I thought it was a superstitious do, you know, thing. So I don't that's know. funny, you know, I, 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 and my interpretation of it was, uh, you know, that he, you know, he just needed to keep grounded because I, I, and maybe I never put two and two together that it was the pictures that he was paying homage to or whatever. I just saw him in and around the, you know, 88 studio. And every time he was not on camera, he would just be he watching would, yeah. shit. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, it's so funny. It was, and that, it's true. We were, he would be touching it every time. And it was like yeah. the weirdest. And again, it's so strange because again, as pages and just being, you know, like I said, I, I talk about this show being an homage to fly on the wall with Dana Carvey and David Spade, yes. you yes. know, that's why I created the show because we were literally there watching, you know, David Spade and 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 um and Dana, Carvey. Uh, Dana yeah. they talk about them being a fly to everything else, but we were the fly to them. So we're sitting there watching Dana Carvey and, and David Spade having a conversation with those folks. But we also saw, you know, Farley and and uh Rob Schneider and th them doing their thing. And again, at the time it didn't we didn't think much of it, but it but it's so it was so weird to see Chris do that. And again, he was, he was like the nicest. He was so nice. I mean, he was, he, you know, Oh, do you have any, do you have any messages? Do you have any, you know, is there any messages? How are you? Like, he was so nice. Um, just such a good guy. So yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah. It was but so uh, again, uh, you know, uh, sad that, you know, he couldn't handle what, you know, the, the right. amazing opportunity he was given. And, and, but again, having several friends who've been through it, it's, it's, it's a, it's a legit disease. You know, it's not a, it's not a like, Oh, why don't you just stop drinking right. or taking drugs? You know, he, right. he had a, he had a disease that he couldn't, he couldn't champion. So, but, but right. through it all, the nicest cat, you know, such a good dude. Right. Right. Um, now it's speaking of another cat. Now it's funny. I remember I used to go in on Sunday mornings and I'd sit at the desk for I guess it was NFL Live, right? right? Which I believe was the same studio as Letterman. Is that correct? No, no, been... it was on. It was three K. Right. Okay. Which okay. was the was later with Bob Costas. Le that's right. I believe. It right. Costas. It was yes. the later with Bob Costas set, where they also did this NFL Live. So I remember st sitting out there and having OJ and Bob Costas be like, "Hey, Dave, how's it going?" And I'd be like, "Hey, guys, what's going on?" And I'd just stand outside. So now you. I'm assuming must have either worked the same show or something because you have some OJ and Bob Costas and actually Bob, Bob, it's funny. Bob had told a funny story, which maybe I'll just share has not unrelated to anything, yeah. but so what is your OJ and Bob Costas story? <laughs> so I, I, you know, I was, I did have the assignment um, for NBC sports. So it must've had something to do with that. And I did work that show for many, many times. So it must've been a familiar face. And, you know, it was, they were, it, it was either they were recording it on camera or, uh, or about to, and OG's just like, guys, I'm sorry, man. I, 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 I got to take shit. You know, like literally that, you know, literal. And he turns to me, he's like, bring me to the nearest bathroom. And Bob Costas starts dropping 
you know, what the, you know, you know what, and you know, just had no patience for it, you know, huff and puff and walk out. So I, I like, I go out, I'm like, you know, forget going to the green, you know, green room. There's like something right over here. He's like, oh, awesome. He's like, do you mind hanging out? So he goes in the bathroom and he's in there for like 10 minutes, comes out, you know, washed his hands, took care of himself. He's like, oh man, you, you saved my life. Thank you so much. I'm like, yeah, no problem. You know, and that was it. And then we walked back in and he, you know, Costas had left the set and he came back in all grumbly and mean and just, you know, I never felt that Bob could roll with the punches. That was why he was very stiff and, yeah. and sort of deliberate and Teutonic and, and, and fancied himself a humorist, but I never found him, you know, to be funny or personable in person. But the end of that story is a couple months later, I am in an airport walking towards <laughs> no me. Well, I swear to God, that, that's, oh, that's funny. Walking one way. And OJ's walking the other way and we look at each other and we look at each other and I give him like one of these for those not on TV. I gave him, a, uh, you know, not on watching this. I gave him a little what's up nod with my fingers and he points at me. He's like, bathroom guy, what's up, man? Like totally remembered. Wow. And, and then, you know, went on his way. And my my, my one regret is like, I, I didn't see the opportunity to make a Hertz joke in the airport. Yeah, it's I was going to be like, damn, I, I mean, talk about. I did not do it. To this wow. day, I should I should have I should have made some sort of haha. But like again, he didn't have to you know, acknowledge, but he totally like remembered me and, and right. was very nice. And you know, every time I saw him in, in, in around the show in public, he was a guy who signed every last autograph. Was never you know standoffish. So you know, you never know. You know, good people right. do bad things. Right. You know, yeah. it's a shame to say that, but he he was not a bad guy. Wow. And I guess just, just some uh, to add to that, you know, one is that I agree. I mean, he was always very nice and, you know, which of course, you know, it's irrelevant at this point, but, yeah, yeah, but he was exactly. always very nice, whatever. And then with Bob, um, just, just an inspirational story about Bob, but, but it is true. I mean, he was, you know, he, he did his deal. He didn't, you know, always very serious professional. Um, he didn't really joke with any, you know, he just did his thing. And and then later yeah. with Bob Costas, which, which I, which I really enjoyed the set, you know, it was just two chairs and, you know, it was kind of cool again to go in there and you see the little, like um, that rocking horse that he had on the set. I mean, all yep. that stuff yep. was just sitting there. Uh, and again, for the listeners, you know, it's kind of funny how, you know, that set you see on TV. I mean, the fact is we could have went in and just kidnapped the horse, you know, that rocking horse that was behind him or just taking things off the set nothing is, was locked down. I mean, you could just or the same thing for Letterman or any other studio, you know, yeah. you, you pretty much had free reign that you could just go in and do anything you wanted to, to do. But, um, but with Bob, Bob told the story and this is just something that was kind of helpful for any, anyone that wants to get into maybe broadcasting or anything. And we, and we talked, touched on this, but Bob said when he started out, he was hired to do a, the, the short stories, he was hired to call a, a, a hockey game. And he didn't, and and I think at the either the last moment they asked him to do it, but he didn't know anyone of the on the team, so he didn't know any of the players. So he literally, you know, he I guess he knew one team, but he didn't know the other team. So he literally just looked at one of the players, and let's say it was LeBeau, and he just said before the game, he goes, "Little does Doug LeBeau know." he is about to have the best game of his life. <laughs> so, That's great. So Bob Costas was like, and LeBeau has the puck, and LeBeau got the, and Doug is coming around. He just picked out like one or two names. That is And just, just repeated the same names the entire show, the entire game. So again, it just talk about, you know, like being confident and just pulling shit out of your butt. 
He yeah. was like, I'm just going to call this game. I, I don't know anybody, but I'm just, those guys are going to have the best thing. And it worked. And then, you know, so he sort of faked it until he made it. So again, there have been times, you know, uh, again, at WNBC or anything in our careers where, you know, there are times when you might not have all the facts or know what the hell you're doing, but just if you could get through it without, you know, uh, <laughs> Falling on your face. We'll leave yeah, it. Yeah, you know, it's yeah, it's it's not such a bad thing. Right. So so that was good. And I remember that that story, and it was really cool because it's true. You know, in times where I've I've even been, you know, it's like, you know, you, you remember those stories. And like again, you can do this, you know. Uh well, and I, I and I think that, you know, confidence and inspires uh, you know success or confidence inspires uh you know trust whatever you want to yell right. he was so confident in what he was doing that the listener had no reason not to you know right. to buy what he was selling to right. use a rockism so so you know i think that lesson goes a long way you could be nervous you could be like shit i don't know if i could do this but if you don't show that and uh, it, it's as clear as it's as cliche as old as time you know never let him see you sweat right. but if you live that mantra it's it, it really will help you. I mean, certainly, because right. I hear again, a lot of celebrities, they they do they, they like, yes, I do get nervous before I go perform. I always get nervous. And you're like, but you look so cool, you know, and and even listening to um, when I listen to some of the podcasts where, where some of the folks that appeared on Johnny Carson for the first right. time. Uh, I've heard some of those stories and they're like, so you've, like, you've gotten pages from that far back. You've no, 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 no. This is just random. No, this, this oh, is just, okay. just real, like not real celebrities, but celebrities right. that just happen to be talking. Maybe right, it's like right. on Bill Maher's show it, or whatever it. it was, but, but those, or, or even Dana Carvey, when they talk about it, you know, like listening to those, they, they say, yeah, I was the first time I was on Carson, I was so nervous. And you know, they're like, do, do I go over to his couch? And, 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 you know, they were a wreck. And and yeah. little uh, or Leno even you know they were they were a total wreck, but but the audience never knew that. And they you know when Leno first appeared on Carson, and I think that like even his jacket you know it was like or a lot or even Seinfeld like like I couldn't even afford a, a suit, so someone had to give me a suit, or I bought some old suit, or you know yeah. And and this was their first appearance, so I had to like dress up, you know, and then and then the rest is history. So crazy, yeah. It it, it goes it goes throughout. So. Okay, a couple other quick things. One is um, Dick Ebersol, which, you know, speaking of sports. Um, so explain to the folks, Dick behind sports, and then he also was was a part of SNL, um, the creation of SNL, correct? Yeah, so I wasn't there for that. But it's funny that um, he was very good friends with Vince McMahon, the owner of the oh. WWE. So when he was running SNL, they, he went to Vince and said, I, I want, I want, uh, shoulder programming so they created something called saturday night main events that ran after snl oh, so it was the block so uh, they, they struck a relationship and i think it was only like three or four years or two or three years that that uh that he ran it before um uh, you know what's his face came back um uh, to, to run snl i think it was a very right, short lauren. window right, right before okay, yeah. lauren came back right. but yeah so i mean I, one of my assignments was nbc sports as i had mentioned earlier and this was before net jets. This was before private air travel. This is before whatever, you know, I think he owned a house in Montana or Wyoming or somewhere like that. And my job was to 
make sure that his children had the right cereal ordered <laughs> for their flights out to wherever his house was. And, you know, it was part of the job. I also, you know, when everyone was in Barcelona for the Olympics, I was the guy at home in his office. This is how old Longo was, actually ripping newspaper clippings. Of, you know, they, whenever someone wrote about the coverage, I had to compile like a, a book and 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 email and not email fax it to him at the time. I'm sorry, yeah, that's how actually, long it was. Just explain that because again, for listeners, back in the day, there and um, you know, um, the you know, it press and publicity or or, or some of these that we actually would rip the newspaper articles yes, and have yes. to like photocopy them and send them out as photocopies. Right. So ex explain that. Yeah, I so mean, that, that's that's really exactly what it was. You know, at the time. And I believe they were in Barcelona. There was no international. I mean, there was Reuters and AP, but I don't think that the networks were tapped in or had the relationship at the time to get those things straight. And I think it was also more for the local media, but there was no way for them to get feedback on what they were doing with the immediacy that they wanted. So uh, Paige or PA, whatever the lowest person on the totem pole <laughs> was, you were usually tasked with the job in these instances of, going out at, at literally, you know, I feel like, uh, you know, the movie Newsies where, you know, the guy with the hat is throwing a, the bundle of blind magazine off the back of the truck. I was there catching up, you know, like I had to get like wow. the first release of the, of the daily news, the New York post the New York times, whatever else was, you know, I think it was USA today was still around, get all the sports sections, scour through, find any references to the coverage of the Olympics put them together, literally tape them to a white piece of, you know, like paper that you would fax or whatever, and then photocopy that and then send that as a fax, pages at the pages of the pages every morning at like six in the morning for the two weeks he was away. So that was the kind of grunt Isn't work. Isn't that insane? I mean, it's in people, again, who are listening, that's insane. I mean, insane. never in a million years would anyone say, so let me get this straight. The National Broadcasting Company has a guy going out and literally finding <laughs> newspapers and physically taking a scissor and cutting out articles and yep. then taping them to a piece of paper and then photocopying them and then sending them to the to the executives and, and everyone in bars, you know, across, across the world. Yes. Again, you would it's 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 those stories that it's like, you've got to be kidding me. It, it, it It's unbelievable. It's as lo-fi as it gets, right? I mean, but but that was the world we live in, and 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 you know, as a fifty-four-year-old, I, I I'm in the unenviable position of of repeating my father's mistakes. So like back in my day, right, uh, right, you know. But but when we were coming up, I, I mean, I literally was still editing on reel-to-reel, -reel where I had to splice yeah. the tape itself and tape it together, and that's how I would edit a promo. I mean, it was crazy or three quarter inch tape or whatever the, the archaic technology of the time was. But yes, yeah, so that's what that was one of the tasks I had is, is, is that sort of grunt work. But I also um, the, during my time in that assignment would, would regularly have to order. God, I can't remember. One was Rice Krispie. Uh, one was Raisin Bran and the other one was Cheerios. I had to make sure that every flight, because a lot of times a kid flew without him because he was off at a game or doing whatever and he would meet him there. And I remember getting a call one day and he just ripped me a new one. Like, you, what the, oh my God, I, you know, you, you have one thing to do, you can't get. And I'm like, I'm like, sorry, Mr. Ebersole, but they, you know, they didn't have Cheerios. I had to make a decision. Rice Krispies is special. Okay. Like, I, <laughs> what do you want me to do? They just didn't have any Cheerios. Uh, I was like, 
He's like, that's when you tell them they got to go out and get Julio's. You tell them who you work for. I'm like just going on and on and on. And it must have been on a speakerphone because, you know, his, his, uh, uh, her name was Linda Arden. His assistant was, was outside and, you know, she probably got the business from, uh, you know, a hundred times fold than I did. But as a, as a page making 18 grand a year, like no man, woman or child deserves to get the wrath of that. So, but yeah, I had to take it in stride and I really did. Um, but you know, the old, the old uh, adage that misery loves company came to the fore. And after he was done berating me and I guess, sir, yes, sir, won't happen again, sir, no problem. And, you know, to his credit, I did learn my lesson. Like I never took no for an answer again when, I, you know, with the, with the, sorry, we don't have Cheerios from Delta uh, uh, right. thing came, but you know, after I walked out of the office, Ken Shanzer, who's another legend in the business. Oh yeah, you know, yeah. Cigar smoking, you know, programmer, you know, legend puts his arm around me. He's like, "Welcome to the club, kid." Brings me to his office, pours me a scotch, you know, from his thing, and you know, we we sat in there bullshit for five minutes. I had I drank the scotch and left, and like, but you know, it was just one of those moments where, you know, sometimes you have to take your medicine, and whether you are right or wrong, just okay, you know, like take it, and then you know, I think handling yourself in those situations with some humble pie is can can be a badge of honor and 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 a and a learning opportunity of of you know not not every battle not every hill is worth dying on is is a i'll steal that terminology you know that a good friend of mine uses all the time and and you know it was again a a, a learning moment or a moment that you know I, I was able to to uh subconsciously handle in a way that earned me respect from ken by not being like uh, sort of combative or, or 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 and recognizing that the best thing to do is just right take it take it and move on right it is funny because they like um when i was in school i was worked i worked for um spencer for hire which was uh, of course yeah robert yurik i don't know robert, robert, robert yurik. Yurik. spencer guillaume was he in that it was robert um, guillaume in that also no no he no no okay. he was okay. but but he was and then and then um Bar barbara it was a bar. I forgot her name. She was the female character. But when I was when I was interning there, my dad said to me, David, if somebody asks, asks you to get a cup of coffee, make sure it's the best goddamn cup of coffee you're going to give them. Right. And sure enough, one day and it's, it was kind of like out of the whole crew. I don't know. They said, David, go get Robert Urich and the female lead a cup of coffee. And I literally remember going into Seven Eleven, I think in, in on Marlboro Street, I forget. It, and and like, I remember getting like, two like hot cup of, cups of coffee. And I got like, like stirrers and sugar and the milk. I think I put the milk separate. So it wouldn't make the coffee cold. And I put it on a tray. And then I, I you know, like I, I prepared like as if it was like a, a you know, like this um, royal presentation of food and i remember going into their trailer and be like here's your coffee and you know luckily everything went went okay and they, they it was it was perfect and i and i wound up um having some success with that show in in, in other ways but but yeah it was like i could have just been like well here's your damn coffee you know uh, i don't care if it's cold or but but i made a point to like make sure it's the best coffee because just like you, you know, to them, it's important. And and even when I was at WNBC, I used to get Chuck Scarborough his lunch and he used to get a, a hamburger with yogurt, a Diet Coke and French fries. Um, but it was like I had, you know, here is your thing. And 
seems so insignificant. It seems so belittling to get their lunch, but I made sure that they had napkins and they had straw and they had the, it was a cold soda and a cup of ice. Yep. You know, there's no job too small when you're asked to do something, whether it's build the great wall of China or give me a cold cup of soda and, and a hot burger. Right. If you embrace it, you know, and you, and you fucking kick it, sorry. And you yeah, kick no. ass and, and you, and you, 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 to your dad's credit, you deliver the best damn coffee that the guys ever had and you do it with pride. You know, if you handle every task like that, you're, you're going to be successful. And no matter right. what you're doing, I mean, uh, without sounding whatever, if, 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 if I was a landscaper, I would mow right. my, mow, mow my client's lawn with the same vigor that I deliver creative content or strategy. If I was a, a barber, I would shave my client's head with, with the care that, I, you know, it, you know, and, and that's sort of, right. you know, I think it's a, it's a, it's a lesson that transcends what we do. Yeah. I, and again, I, I go through this every day um, with everything I do. I mean, I, I say, I go, it's a, I go, it's a problem, you know, cause I know that there are some people that probably hate me for it, but it's like, in everything that I do, I, I, it just, I want it to be the best that it could be. And, and I'm not really asking for anything more, but when something's done, that's clearly just not cared about, or there's no, there's just no effort put into it. It's like, did you even open, you know, did you look at the file? Did you check your work? Did you try to make it good? <laughs> you know, and and again, it, I'm sure that it rubs people the wrong way, but it's like I just no matter what it is. Uh, and again, I used to take when I was when I was a page or even when I was a producer, I was wearing a suit. And I remember I used to take the garbage out. I used to go underneath 30 Rock, emptying the garbage in those big bins, wearing a suit and tie because I wanted to make sure that the office was clean for the next day. And, and, Good for you, yeah. and people yeah. would, and I remember I, a friend of mine, they said, they said, yeah, the cleaning guys would always laugh at you in Spanish. They would go, that guy, he's like, why is he in the suit doing? And I'm like, well, I, I had, that was part of the deal. You know, you just do the best you can. So, okay. A couple of last uh, things. One is, yes, sir. um, uh, I guess you would, you would work for Broadway video. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I, I had a, I've had a very interesting career. Um, and, and, um, you know, one of the things I've always tried to do, and it, you know, is paying dividends now in my owning my own business. So like I, we had mentioned editing. I, I'm not a predator. I've never been in the box, but I always loved working with an editor. So I had the knowledge base and learning, you know, what I'm asking for right. when I'm not the one behind the chair. Right. So I had an opportunity to helm an executive produce a broadcast design division mm -hmm. within, within, um, Broadway videos post-production facility. Oh, really? Um, wow. Okay. Um, at, the, at the Brill building. Yeah. Um, so uh, we were a subdivision of the mothership of Broadway video, and we touched a lot of the shows, Portlandia and SNL and a whole bunch of stuff. But for a few years, I, I worked for Broadway video as the uh, executive producer of their broadcast design division. Oh, wow. Now, it's funny. Again, for those that don't know, Broadway video... Uh, I believe was created to produce SNL uh, content to post-produce content. So correct. Lorne Michaels created this Broadway video, but then wound up be becoming a very successful post house, um, which was in the Brill building, which is a very famous building. Um, and it's funny because I did Charles Perez, which was owned by Tribune. So I used to work there every week 
And I loved Broadway video because talk about your old school. Uh, the bathrooms were old. They yeah, had the old yeah. school tiling. The everything about it was old school, but but legend history making old school. Yeah, and, and it was and you an honor it. to walk in that building. Yeah, yeah, you felt it, and and. and... I could be mistaken, but I seem to remember that like the Brill Building was also very big in like the early days of Broadway, and some of your some of the most famous Broadway lyrics were Correct. written by writers in the building, and they, you you would tell that story. But you know, Candor and Ab, it was a Candor and they, Ab. I, I, I think they yeah. recorded it in that building, like a floor below. Yeah, yeah. Bravo. Which is like which is uh, which is like legendary yes, uh, composers yes. and writers. Yeah. Yes. Um, but you know, so you lived and breathed that, and and back in the day, you know, it's no longer the case. You know, when when post house post houses were, you know, they were printing money. You know, you would go and yeah. you would spend four hundred dollars on an editor, and then you'd go in and spend three hundred dollars on audio posts, and then, you know, color correct and finishing and delivery and down. It was just a money making machine. Obviously, now with technology, you know, being at your fingertips from home on your computer, the post production business has gone the way of the dodo bird, and I think even Broadway videos closed down. But in its heyday, you know. I'd get on the elevator and you'd see um, Paul Simon, who was very close with, yeah, with uh, yeah. Lauren. He would be coming up just to use one of the screening rooms to, li or audio rooms to listen to his newest record. Yeah. Or, you know, and you would see a lot of um, Lauren's famous friends over there uh, on yeah. the creative side, tweaking and doing stuff. And he would let them work in there, you know, you know they, and they would have a, they, they had like a private drinking room in there. He, you know, yeah. and they, they'd use it as sort of like a, a, uh, 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 you know, like a men's room or, or uh, a dungeon of, of, of creativity uh, right. away from 30 Rock. Um, right. But I enjoyed my time there. And I got to, like I said, touch a lot of properties, um, met some good people. And I really took the gig to learn about design for television, learn how to des design for uh, for screens as the LED movement was, was, was exploding. And, you know, we ended up doing, and again, Truth be told, I was never on the box. I was never an animator or After Effects artist. This gentleman by the name of Fred Solkind, uh, who's a, sort of a legend in the business as well, and started at MTV in the design side, assembled a great team, and I was, you know, really just lucky enough to to be the point person to deal with a lot of the non-creative uh, output uh, as it comes to working in the box. Um, and they did, you know, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremonies, and and like I said, some graphics and design for all the shows. So it was a it was a really fun time, but eventually, um, after three or four years, um, Broadway Video was changing the amount of money they were pouring into the design team. So when that's not the design team, their post-production facility in general. So that when they started contracting, I took that opportunity and left um, uh, with, a, with, you know, that's a story for another day with a little, a little push on their end. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. Um, and I ended up getting hired by UEG to create uh, uh, one of the most enjoyable projects I've ever worked on. I, my partner and I uh, created basically the Harlem Globetrotters for, for freestyle soccer. So we partnered with Cheetos to create Los Cheetos, which was a traveling uh, Harlem Globetrotters for soccer. We built a stadium in Long Beach, California on the beach. We shot this event. It, it went incredibly well, viral, whatever terms you want to use. And then we ended up partnering with the Mexican national soccer team and traveling with them for a couple of years, putting on this, uh, basically this Harlem Globetrotters show as part of the fan festival for each uh, each show. So 
again, I only tell that story about Broadway video because without that knowledge and without taking that risk of going out of my comfort zone a little bit into what I was normally doing, I wouldn't have learned that side of the business, which helped me with that XFL project that I mentioned to you uh, about The Rock. So, you know, I, I did that and then went back to what I love doing and used what I learned to help build my business that I have now. Wow. It's funny because Broadway video, a couple of things. One, again, just being in that building and, and, and again, some people may or may not care, but similar to walking around 30 rock, the, the, the hollowed ground and walking through Broadway video. Do you remember in the hallway, they had like a 15 foot, 20 foot photo of uh, 42nd street. Yes. And, right. And it was it was and 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 again, for the listeners, it was this long photo. So they must have done this long exposure or they took, I guess, a series of stills and and married them together in one frame. So if you literally walked and looked at this photo, it was like 20 feet long, but it was literally like one end of 42nd Street to the other. And and I remember going in there and just looking at it and looking at the history of 42nd Street and seeing all the old theaters and all the old you know, um, you know, uh, you know, just the, the, the texture and the, and everything yes, of, the, of patina, the, the patina, the patina, yes. exactly. Yes. And they even had a, uh, they had built a 3d model of like a newsstand. There was like, uh, someone had built some kind of hmm. like, yeah, some, like it was in the, it was in the lounge. Like it was, um, you know, it had like a little newsstand with all the magazines and the guy behind the thing, like just, just things that like when you grew up and thought of New York, um, right. It just, it was just so, it was just, just being in the company of that was, was amazing. But also you touched on, on, um, you know, the money-making machine and I'm going to give a shout out to Mark Ward because when I did Charles Perez it was really funny. I did Donahue promos and I was always trying to do some create, and this also was just, you know, for whatever it's worth for anyone that cares or anyone that wants, but I remember doing Donahue and I did Montel and I always wanted to do something creative. <clears throat> and the folks that I worked for who had the account to produce Donahue and the others, they, they had, they did a couple of shows. I would say, Hey, let's do this and let's do this and let's do this. And they just said, no, like, no, 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 and no. And, and it was the same cookie cutter crap that all the other talk shows were doing. So when I got the Tribune gig and and Maureen was my boss, she was like, David, do whatever you want. So I went to Broadway nice. Video and um, I used to work, I think, from 6 p.m. till 6 a.m. And the reason was because the equipment was like half price. <laughs> Nobody yeah. wanted to use the equipment. And again, for those listening, if uh, back in the day, if you wanted to do, let's say, an, a graphic move, you'd have to use that machine. And that machine was $500 an hour. And if you wanted to do, like, if you wanted to run multiple tapes, because you had to run them at the same time to sort of blend them together, each machine was like $200 an hour, whatever it was. So you're talking like five grand a day, at least, of what oh, I used at least. to you know yeah. what? Yeah, what it what it used to cost to do it. So I, we would go in there at uh, six at night, and then to to you know, and basically we were there at you know at, at midnight. There's nobody there. So Mark and I, we would literally go into other rooms, and we roll in every goddamn machine we could find. That's and hilarious. we'd have the we'd have the 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 uh, the photo stand, you know, the copy stand, whatever it was. 
we'd have machines. We would like, like my toe would be touching one switch while we're playing with it. And we would, it was like playing, playing Twister. We'd have like 19 machines doing crazy shit. And what was funny, and this also, and it's good that we're sort of talking about it because I, because, because people, like maybe this will inspire people, but I remember that they, I would come every week and say, what can we do this week that's different than last week? And we would, we would, um, you know, uh, for example, we did a show on guns and I literally got a real handgun and put it on the, uh, an, uh, an automatic copy stand, like a programmable right. stand. And the gun literally was like spinning around and we had the camera and then I blew smoke into the frame and the gun sort of spun around where the, where we are looking down the barrel. Um, and then, you know, so, and then like we, we, you know, if it was a drinking show, I would shoot Charles Perez on a green screen and I'd have him sitting on a beer glass and I'd literally, you know, it was a big glass and we'd swirl the beer and we'd light it from behind and he'd be like, and I'd have Charles say, you know, on the next Charles Perez, do you like drinking? Well, you know, so we do all these crazy things. So the, the short of it, when I used to do those promos, we got a lot of recognition from, you know, Talk Soup. Yeah. That's another story. They recognize. But I remember I would go to Natby, oh no, to Promax, which was Pro the, Max, produ yeah. Yeah, the producer's convention. And they would say, they said we, you know, so I'd see all the local stations around the country. And they would say, David, when your team would send the promos for the week, we would all gather around the edit room to see what you did, what your team did this week. And I'm like, you mean the team of like me and Mark? <laughs> um, and actually, um, we had a third, um, uh, our playback. And, and of course, my my brain, uh, he's going to kill me for not remembering his name. But it was the three of us that we would do stuff. So he would he would do uh, Chiron, but he would also oh do my stuff. God, Chiron, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and Mark would do. But they were so excited to see this stuff that we were doing, and it was like just the three of us. And I remember uh, the guy that did the the Donahue promos. I remember him saying because everybody was um, Garth Anseer. Remember Garth Anseer? Garth Garth created the Ricky Lake Show. Oh, cool. And Garth Anseer was friendly with Charles Perez. And Garth literally said, quote, he said this to Charles because Charles told me, he said, he said, you're making our show look bad because we were doing these really innovative promos. And I remember the guy that I had left that I that he he, he wouldn't let me do anything. He said, Dave, you really learned a lot doing the Donahue promos, right? I was like, no. You, I not learned nothing from you. You didn't let me do anything. And then when I went to Tribune, they were like, go nuts. And I did what I wanted to do for you, but you wouldn't let me do it. So again, you know, the issue is, you know, there, there are times where, you know, folks who have that passion should never give up that passion because I, I you know, I could have given up nine, 900 times, but it was like when I finally had that opportunity to go nuts, Every week we were doing crazy, we were doing promos that were like, you know, were way different than the standard uh, talk show promos, which were just clips of people talking. I was like, they're all the same show. <laughs> so come up with something new. So I was very grateful. I was very lucky to have Tribune support me. And again, just shows if you have a boss that that believes in you 
Um, and then, of course, when you had when I tell, told Mark uh, Ward, you know, Mark, this is what we're doing tonight. You know, um, I remember there were times at three in the morning when we had to do cut down. So, again, for those listening, you'd have a 30 second spot, but then you do a 20, a 15, a 10 and a four. They would have to sort of cut them down. And there were times when when I was so tired, it'd be it'd be like four or five in the morning. I'd be sleeping or not sleeping, passed out on the floor. And I'd wake up, Mark, how's it going? Yeah, Kath, we're doing it, you know. And they would they would do the cut down. So um, again, when you get people who are passionate about about the same thing, they got a kick out of it because they were getting recognized for the work they were doing. I certainly was. Um, and then of course Charles got very good ratings. I mean, the ratings we we had the highest ratings, you know, ever, you know, once once we did that. So that was a lot of fun. So in any case, you, that, you, you left out the one of the most important aspects of work in the graveyard shift, by the way. Oh, which which besides getting all, everything for free? Yeah, so that was the thing. Order as much sushi as you want, kid. Like you're working late. It's all good. I actually, it's funny. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell. I have to. I have to. And again, either we're boring to death, the, the, the listeners, but I have to say, I remember, and I'm going to mention his goddamn name, Michael Rudick, who was at Metro. And we would we would go all and, and there's a shout out to Susan Sealand if she's listening. I remember we would work all week, you know, till all hours of the night. But Michael Rudick would sell advertising time to sort of advertisers and He'd have, you know, he'd, he'd, he'd sell, you know, I'm doing, we're doing a commercial for X, whatever. He would come to me on a Friday as he's going to the Long Island Railroad. Uh, by the way, David, it's six o'clock on a Friday. Uh, here's the promo that you need to produce that's due Monday morning. And I, yeah. I, I mean, I can't even tell you how upsetting that was. I'm like, so you had all week. And now, as you're telling me, I got to catch the train, you're handing me what's due. Yep. Okay. So what we used to do, I said, okay, you want to do it that way? So we would then go to like outside to like Broadway video type places or other production houses to do the work. We would literally order. We literally ordered from the, I said, okay, you, really, you want this? We ordered, what we do is we'd order food from you know other places this particular night it was the palm i go. ordered from the palm i said <laughs> and i have a photo my friend mark berry has a photo of it i ordered from the palm it was a small farm animal it was it was a lobster <laughs> i swear to god it was like nine feet large uh, and we ordered lobster we ordered champagne we ordered uh prime rib we ordered you um you know uh uh cream spinach and the bill was probably it was it was probably could have been seven eight hundred dollars could have been a grand we and and because the hourly rate was about five hundred dollars to work at these places we just tacked on two more hours of work and we tacked on that dinner and again go. i hate to be a jerk but i mean really well you know we had all week and, and they would do this time and time again and it just got to the point well you know if we're gonna now if i'm gonna stay here for the next three days doing your work that you could have, you know, we're going to have some food. So we would order, we would go, and actually a Broadway video, which you, I'm sure remember, they would give us menus. Of course, a menu book. A menu book. And, yes, and you could, you know, of course. I think I had, I had at least $500, at least $500 a week 
if not more to spend. So, so we would literally, we, we would just be like, you know, uh, prime rib, lobster, steak, what do you guys want? And then they would unplate everything or unbox it and plate Put it, it on plates. You. Yep. And yep. bring it in with a cart with like, they had, an employee, they had an employee her, that his or her job was, was taking the client food, plating it, putting it, you know, looking presentable, a little flower in a vase and wheeling it into your room. And now listen, it's no longer happens that way, but I was, I was well versed in the subtle arts of hiding expenses. You, you had to be good at it. If you were working as a PA or an AP in television in the nineties. Ah, that is hilarious. I mean, it was, and it's true. Those days of them, of them wheeling in, they, you know, we'd be yep. working, they'd wheel in a cart. And yep. they literally service. I, I I think they even were wearing white gloves, uh, to be honest with you. I oh, think wow. They, I don't, I, that's you know, they cool. were, I mean, it was um, elegant and they yeah. would have the white cloths. They would put it out. We would eat. And, and not only that, we would order, you know, we'd order plenty of food, even if we didn't really eat it all. We would, we'd of order, we, you know, and then we would, we'd be stuffed and there'd be garbage all over the place. And they would come in and clean the table and wipe it down. And, yep. you know, and then there was like, they had coffee machines and, you know, you'd go get coffee and, and whatever else. So yep. good Those times. Days are long gone. Those good yeah. times. Okay. So the last thing I'll ask you about, I guess is, is 1102. That's your current company. Is that, that is correct? My, that is my company. So, okay. so, um, and it's spelled 1102 and, and the, the, the etymology of the name is my partner met his wife on 11 2, or they got married on 11 2. I'm sorry. It was oh, the, wow. the date okay. of their wedding, 11 02, whatever year it was. Oh, that's so cool. that, that's so. Um, and how we came to each other. So my partner and I worked together at WWE. Um, and uh, he worked with me and for me, although, you know, I'm always of the school, like no one ever works for me. I try and treat everyone with the same respect. So I work with people. So he worked and then I left and went to launch the internal agency, which was out of New York. And then Barry took over as the head of promotions for WWE. Um, we were there together for, for many, many years. Um, when, when WWE sold uh, and moved to a new network rather uh, in the mid 2000s, um, my, the agency became redundant because USA had its own internal agency. So they gave me 18 months of severance at full pay. I was 34, 35 years old at the time. And I was like, great. So I threw a backpack on my uh, shoulders and went to Southeast Asia for six months, um, came back and started my own company. But Barry was stayed all through that time. He was still running the vision. Uh, I ran my own company for a couple of years. He came back to me and said, we're launching a network. We want you to come back as an executive. Uh, I went back and then during that time, Barry left. And he started 1102 as a solo you know, producer, writer, director. I stayed for a couple of years. And then we had this opportunity, as I mentioned before, with UEG and Frito-Lay to create the soccer team. Um, it, he actually had that opportunity. He, they approached him. He called me up. He said, I think this is something uh, that is amazing. I just don't know if I have the ability to do it by myself. Would you consider you know, being a part of this? Um, and I said, yeah. And literally from that day, we've been partners. Um, that was our first big, you know, so opportunity and we took it and ran. We, we've been very successful. We were derailed a little bit by, um, COVID, but, uh, we've returned with, with great gusto over the last uh, couple of years. And we mainly focus on, you know, we, we write, direct and produce, 
um, live events, uh, mostly branded content. Uh, we do a lot with ESPN, WWE, I mentioned XFL, where, where we just uh, became the agency of record for a vitamin and energy gummy, gummy company. And we just struck a deal with Barstool Sports. So we're representing them in their, uh, their endeavors with Barstool. Um, so we, we swim in, uh, mostly in the sports waters and a lot of uh, athlete features and, and uh, you know, commercials and, and shoulder content that is away from the field. Um, and it's been, a, it's been a great run. You know, there's, there's, we could spend an entire show on, on the difficulties of owning your know, businesses, uh, but, but, you know, the good far outweighs the, the, the bad. Uh, I'm blessed to have two healthy boys and I get to spend a ton of time with them. We, my partner lives in New Jersey, so our office is in Woodcliffe Lake, 20 minutes from my house, 20 minutes from his house. So, you know, we, we go in once or twice a week and we're able, we do a lot on the road. We're traveling a ton because we're shooting in, you know, LA, New York, Florida, you know, we're, we're constantly traveling, but the work-life balance of, of owning my own company has been, you can't put zeros on it. You know, it's just really um, a wonderful opportunity and a wonderful way to, 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 uh, you know, live your life and, and sort of have what you love creatively or on the business side, be able to allow you to be with who you love right. when you're not working. So it's, it's been, it's been really lovely and, 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 and I'm blessed and, and going back to the aha moments and coming for a circle with, with the page program, you know, like I recognize how special this time in my life is and how lucky I am to have the, a successful company and allows me to do all these things just like I recognized at the time, hey, you know, this is a cool thing and being a page shouldn't be taken for granted and, and, and you know, remember this and keep it with you. So, so there's my sort of wrapping up the podcast, bringing it back to Wabaro here moment. No, it's amazing. Well, so fascinating. It really, it, it, you know, your, your, your story and hopefully, you know, folks that listen to this again, you know, uh, hopefully I'm, I'm sure you'll inspire folks, um, because, you know, and I think a lot of folks, they, cause a lot of people are like, well, how do I do, how do I do this? Or, or, or what do I do? And I think a lot of people just, they don't know where to begin or they're shy or, or they just, they, they, they think that they can't do it. And really from the things that you said, you know, you're, you're sort of like, no, you can do this. You know, you can do it. It may not be easy and you, you may have to like take some risks, but you know, you have to believe in yourself um, and you can do it um, because, you know, it, it, it's so exciting to hear all these, these stories and things that you've done. I mean, I'm, I'm, it was so interesting to hear your, your, your story, which I did, like I said, I knew you back in the day uh, saw you around the building for a moment. Um, but it's, and again, even for me, and I know we're getting a lot of feedback from other pages that, that are hearing all these podcasts. Um, but it is so cool to hear, uh, you know, to hear all this. Cause it's like, Oh my God, it's like, it's just, it, it's so, it's so cool to hear what's happened, um, over the past 30 years with, with you. Well, well a, sh a shout out to you and, and straight up. I mean, the only reason why I, I even, you know, I'm on with you today is just hearing about what an amazing experience one of my fellow pages who, you know, again, speaks to the fraternal uh, fraternity and sorority nature of, of, of the program. Like, I'm sure like you, I, between the socials, I think I still keep in contact with 39 of the 41 pages that we I was there with. And even, you know, guys like you who we weren't in the program together, but we'd swim around and see each other, you know, so uh, if not, you know, for hearing 
the great experience that Paige had, I probably wouldn't have done it because, you know, although contrary to popular belief, I don't necessarily love talking about myself, but I do, ne I never mind sharing stories um, about my journey because I feel blessed and lucky and, and, you know, don't hide from that. Yeah. And I think, again, I think it's valuable. It's always nice because I get a kick when I hear Dana Carvey or David Spade um, tell their stories because we look at them, you know, like as if they're like these, you know, oh my God, it's, you know, big star. But when you hear them talk about their experiences, it's exactly like our experiences. They yeah. were like, oh my God, we were there in some big famous, you know, David Spade talks a lot. Like he's like, I don't know what the hell I was doing. I, you know, I was brought in as a writer and I, you know, had to figure it out. And, um, you know, just all these crazy things where, where when you hear that, you're like, oh, they're, they're human, just like us, you know, um, put our so pants just, on one leg at a time as the old right, cliche says, right, right, right. It's so, but funny. I do think you're doing a good thing here. And I think, you know, it, it, uh, without sounding, uh, crazy, it, I would almost tell whoever's running a page program that now to, to any of the kids that are interested in becoming a page, listen to this thing, literally listen to it and get excited about the opportunity. And, 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 you know, what is it going to be an hour and a half for, you know, once a week, you can download or listen or as many as you want, binge, listen, do whatever, but it might be a cool thing to, for them to just listen and check it out. So they know what they're getting into uh, right. all positive, you know, all, you know, all good things, you know, to get them hyped about what they're about to embark on. Right. Yeah. It's so interesting. I was thinking it would be cool. Like uh, Elizabeth Trostler, her daughter is a page now. I don't know if you remember Elizabeth, but no, she, no. she was, she's a, she, you know, she, she was a page with me, but her daughter's a page now. And, you know, again, it would be interesting, you know, again, I don't know if, um, if NBC would would like them to be a guest on the show, but it would be interesting to hear their current, you yeah. know, take on yeah. things, and they'd be like, "No, oh my God, we don't do any of that," or or whatever. <laughs> the um, problem is, we might give them my ideas that NBC might not be <laughs> right. Exactly. Now that I'm thinking about it, be like, no, don't listen yeah. to anything they've said. They, yes, yes, exactly. Sure, I don't it's, know. It's all a cautionary tale. Right. Do they, do they have lockers where they could, could they, do they sleep over? Like we used to sleep over. Do they, God knows what, I, yeah, I don't we even slept know. In that room. I, I slept under Chris Elder's desk. You know, I would, I would, I, I, I was the weekend, you know, they, they had the weekend where the, the guys that were paid, you know, the employees weren't there and they would let the pages run the weekend, right. um, you know, the Sunday tour. So I right. was given that job. I was running the Sunday tours of handing out who's doing what time or whatever. And, I had a key and inevitably I would say, however many weekends I was doing it, I would become, I would come from a bar. I'd be a little too inebriated. I'd let myself in and I'd fall asleep in his office and I'd wake up with someone knocking on the door at, at 8.59 for my nine o'clock job. And I'd be wearing what I wore out and I'd be like, all right, I'm here, let's go. You know, and that's, that's, uh, you know, that, that was, uh, that was the norm. Right. It is funny because it's true. We all, you know, and, and I guess that's, we've talked about it in another podcast, but of course we probably could go on for days for that, but it's true. We would go out to bars. We would then come back to 30 rock. Everyone would pass out on the floor. Uh, they'd be sleeping. It would be, um, you know, if those walls could talk, <laughs> it was insane. Okay. Yes, well, exactly. listen, I, I can't thank you enough. Uh, this was amazing. It was so interesting. And I really, I can't thank you enough. It. This was so much fun. Like, you know, like, no, uh, I, I, I will recommend it to all of our kindred uh, spirits and pals in the, in the thing, but really you're doing a good thing here. 
it's always good to keep these stories alive and keep people who have fond memories, you know, chronicled and 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 aggregated. So uh, I, I I should be thanking you. This was a blast. Well, thank you very much. God bless you, ladies and gentlemen. Doug Woohoo! Self clap, self clap. Thanks for listening to a page in history. A Page in History is produced by David Harris Katz Entertainment. For more information on our television shows, syndication, and more, go to dhcats.com. And to listen to more episodes of A Page in History, or if you've been lucky enough to call yourself one of the world-famous NBC pages and would like to appear on the show, go to apageinhistory.tv.